Now is your chance to save the city with Turbo Man. Fight against crime with America's favorite superhero, along with his awesome turbo gear, like the trusty Turbo Ring, Turbo Discs, and the Turbo Disc Launcher. And the Roaring Jetpack, complete with ballistic sound. And best of all, four turbo phrases, including... It's Turbo Time! Turbo Man. Available exclusively at Walmart. Separately, batteries not included. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-Card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drop, the puck right there, the right the game flashes up. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Welcome to episode 63, actual episode 81, and today I bring you my chat with Turbo, Dean Trebojevic. We'll touch on Turbo in a little bit, but first, as always, I just have a few announcements to make. If you don't mind, please subscribe to this show. Now, whatever platform you're on, it could be a follow, it could be a like, it could be subscribe. The benefit of subscription is it's free and you never have to go searching for the program again. Every week, like clockwork, a new episode will appear in your podcast stream and it'll be right there. You just press play. So if you don't mind, please subscribe, like whatever it is on whatever platform you're listening to, give it a follow, give it a like, give it a subscribe. Also, if you have a second, could you please rate and review the program? Uh, rate, ratings and reviews give the podcast greater visibility. Somehow it affects the algorithms and I will appear in more searches. And while I'm very happy with uh, the humble audience that I do have, I think you guys are awesome. Uh, it'd be nice to grow the show a little bit, maybe uh, introduce some of these players' stories to other people who may not be aware of them. These are guys whose stories need to be told, stories that need to be heard, and the more ears, the better. So uh, so if you have a second, could you please rate and review the show as well? If you're on social media, on Twitter, my personal account is at Joe underscore Lozito, and the Twitter account for the show is at Kali Pod. At Joe Lazito, you're going to get goofy shit that I post all the time. Nothing too serious. I'm not a polit uh, political expert. I'm not a disease expert. Uh, I'm not a military expert. Trust me, I know you have enough of those friends. I'm not going to be one of them. And the Kali Sinbin pod, um, 
content that's on that Twitter account is the same that you're going to find on Facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles podcast and the same that you're going to find on Instagram at Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast. All of that content is going to be stuff related to the show. Islanders organizational enforcer content, photos, videos, birthdays, stats, things like that. So if you do enjoy the show, I'm sure you will enjoy the social media for the show. So give it a follow, give it a like. And uh, as I always say, I will return the favor in kind. The world is big enough for a lot of people to be happy and a lot of people to be successful. So uh, I'm more than happy to return the favor. If you have a platform, if you have content, anything that I can do to help you, if you help me, why not? There's, like I said, there's enough to go around for everybody. So uh, if you want to check me out on social media, those are the platforms. Those are the titles. Check them out. Follow, like, whatever. Let me know. I'll return the favor. Uh, as you know, if you're a regular listener or if you listen to the Fourth Line Voice podcast, I have merchandise available. And if you scroll a little bit past the episode description of this very episode, you will see two links. One link for the classic logo merchandise and one link for the alternate logo merchandise. Everything you can need, everything you can need, everything that you would want is there. T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies, leggings, socks, totes, towels, posters. I think there are masks on there, although hopefully no one's going to need those for the oh, God knows. Hopefully not, but I believe they're still on there. And uh, this week's listener exclusive discount is Turbo 20. T-U-R-B-O-2-0. So anything in the store, everything in both stores, 20% off every item with the code TURBO20, and that code will expire on September 13th, 2021. So give the stores a look. Check it out. I think you'll enjoy the merchandise. The best part about the merchandise is the logo. I love the logo, and I love pumping the tires of the artist who drew that logo. Joe Marisich. Joe is a local Long Island artist. Joe is available for hire. You've seen his stuff across all across across all social media platforms. If you're an Islander fan, if you're a Jets fan, if you're a Mets fan, uh, if you listen to sports radio, he does a lot of those tunes. But Joe can do all different kinds of art. Get at Joe on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or at LoudEgg.com. Let him know that you heard about him on Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box. And uh, I don't know if that's going to do anything, but you never know. Uh, Joe's a good guy, so we'll see what happens. A couple of other shows I'd like you to check out once you're done listening to this one, of course. The aforementioned, excuse me, aforementioned Fourth Line Voice podcast with my buddy Darren up in Saskatoon. Darren is the OG of the Enforcer podcast genre. I know there have been a lot of podcasts that have popped up lately with uh, retired players and everything, but if we're being honest with ourselves, the guy who did it first, Fourth Line Voice Podcast. And and he is so good at what he does that some shows are ripping off some of his ideas. It's incredible. You would think they wouldn't have to, but he comes up with an idea. And next thing you know, that same idea pops up somewhere else a couple of weeks later. But uh Darren is a great dude, and uh, I really appreciate his support for my show, and I hope I return the favor in kind. Now, Darren is a part of the Hockey Podcast Network, two shows a week. Wednesday, he does interviews. Sundays, uh, he does his Sunday shit show, where he stares out the window, pumps his fist, and yells at nothing. But not this week. 
This week on Wednesday, he released part one with Paul Ferone, and it was excellent. I am a huge Paul Ferone fan, one of the most underrated guys who have ever who has ever played professional hockey. Now, normally tomorrow would be the Sunday shit show, but he is releasing part two tomorrow, which is Sunday. Maybe today when you're listening, or yesterday if you're listening to this on Monday. Either way, Paul Ferone part one was released Wednesday. Paul Ferone part two is being released on Sunday. I strongly urge you to listen to this episode. I think you should listen to all his episodes. I love Ferone, so I'm biased on this one. Uh, Italian, North American there. And uh, he doesn't do any interviews. Paul doesn't do any podcasts. He's not on social media. So everything you're ever going to need to know about Paul Ferone's career, you're going to get in these two episodes. Part one was amazing. Darren, great job on that. And I'm really looking forward to part two. Also, YouTube lately has been removing a lot of hockey fight content, which is uh, bullshit, if you ask me. One channel that is still up there, the Fourth Line Voice channel. So if you're looking to watch hockey fights, go to the Fourth Line Voice channel. And as I always say, if you have watched a hockey fight on YouTube, chances are it has been on the Fourth Line Voice channel. Over 2,500 fights currently on there. All leagues, all players. Check it out. Fourth Line Voice podcast. You know what? My throat. <laughs> I need to take some water. Hold on one second. Sorry about that. I'm not, uh, I don't do the beer stuff like Darren and uh, Alec do. Um, not that I don't like beer, but I have a bottle of water pretty much everywhere I go. So uh, so I just took a swig of water. Hopefully that'll help. Um, Alec, the guy I just mentioned, Five for Fighting podcast with Alec. Alec Olin Salen, Land Lakes, Florida boy. His latest episode was his uh, Facebook Live episode with Jason Bone. Very, very good episode. Jason was a really good interview, good listen. I hope he comes back for part two because I think they just scratched the surface. Very good rapport between the two of them. And if anyone's going to interview Jason again, it should be Alec. And uh, hopefully a part two will be there soon. Alec, he's he's the wonder kid. He does these Facebook Live, uh, I think using Zoom. I honestly don't know. I'm a dinosaur. I have no idea, but I love this thing he's doing. And um, definitely, if you can't catch the interviews live, they're usually done on Fridays in the Enforcer Appreciation Group on Facebook. So you might want to join that. And Alec does his interviews Friday nights, and then he uploads them for his usual Tuesday podcast slot. So if you can't get to them on Friday... I almost never get to the uh, well, almost never. So far, I've uh, I've been able to get to zero of them. So I usually listen to them on Tuesday. So, uh, but if you're near a computer, near your phone on a Friday night, you want to see a good interview, check out Alec and Facebook Live in the Enforcer Appreciation Group on Facebook. Join it, even if you don't watch the interview and you want to listen to it on Tuesdays. Definitely check it out. Some pretty good guys in that group. Some assholes. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I was going to say, as I always say, since I seem to do that a lot, I'm going to start putting a a jar here for all the stuff I repeat, but social media is a microcosm of society. So while I think most people are pretty good people, you have your share of assholes, and the Enforcer Appreciation Group is no different, but please do not let that deter you from it. There is a massive cleanup going on right now, uh, trying to weed out the assholes and uh, make it a more enjoyable place. So check out the Enforcer Appreciation page. Check out the Five for Fighting podcast. Third podcast I want you to check out currently in hiatus is the Bucket Drop podcast with Bobby Longgrass. 
I would imagine within the next month, month and a half, Bobby will return. Bobby does shorter episodes, 20, 25 minutes, focusing on his team, the Montreal Canadiens, Ottawa Senators, and the Toronto Maple Leafs. He also discusses combat sports, discusses betting. Good stuff. Quick hit episodes. Check him out. I don't know when he's coming back, but he should be back soon. So I want you to check out those three shows. Unless you don't like great content, then don't check them out. But uh, I'm sure you do. Well, how could you not, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, of course. But definitely check out those shows. I'm going to mention it again. If you're sick of me saying it, I don't know what to tell you. Please go on my Twitter page and look for the GoFundMe by my friend Steve from when ProbertWasKing.com. We are trying to get a bigger, better, better Drop Your Gloves website uh, created. Everybody, players, coaches, fans, scouts, everybody went to those pages. Everybody watched the videos, and now it's gone. There is no better person for this project than Steve. He's the rain man of the hockey fight hobby. If you can donate a dollar, five dollars, ten dollars, please do. The link is I tweet it every day. So if you go to my my Twitter accounts, you don't have to scroll too far to see the post. Please give what you can. And if you can't give anything, please retweet that tweet. Let's get the word out there. We're a little more than halfway there, but we're kind of in a holding pattern now. It started off strong, stumbled a little bit, got got better, stumbled a little bit. We we surpassed 5,000, and now we're sort of stalled again. So any help is appreciated spreading the word on this GoFundMe. If, you're, uh, if you enjoy this show and you enjoy the shows that I mentioned, you know that you've been on Drop Your Gloves before. This site that Steve has... Uh, plans for is gonna blow the old site away i promise you that so steve would have it wouldn't have it any other way so just a couple of uh hockey things that i want to touch on before we get to my interview with turbo dean trebojevic um first the uh the league announced that uh nhl players will be playing in the olympics Eh, no big deal to me uh i'm old enough to remember when the amateurs were in the olympics uh, to me, there's just something more romantic, more poetic when I uh, see my voice cracked. It's just something when the, you think of amateur players defeating the professional players from the other countries. I think that's part of what makes 1980 such a special moment. But as with everything else in today's world, it's all about money. So if you're a fan of seeing the NHL players in the Olympics, good for you. Uh, but personally, I'm not a fan of it. And I'm pretty sure I'm in the minority. But I don't know. I'd love to see the amateurs still in the Olympics. Uh, secondly, Rocky Thompson. Now, uh, you know Rocky Thompson. Rocky Thompson, very, very tough player. And one of the hottest head coaching candidates in hockey right now. Much to the chagrin of the idiots that write for certain publications or independently in Toronto that don't respect what the man has done. But Rocky Thompson is a guy who's paid his dues and uh, was an assistant coach with the San Jose Sharks on Bobby Bugner's staff. And unfortunately I said he was an assistant coach because he recently had to step down uh, again, a COVID thing. And this is the statement that uh, Rocky released it said, 
it reads in part, well, no, it reads completely due to a medical exemption that prevents me from taking the COVID-19 vaccine under the new league protocols. I am not permitted to fulfill my duties on the Sharks coaching staff at this time. I will have no further comment on the matter. Now, people, you're so frustrating. You know why? Because I think a lot of people, a lot of the new age fans, they don't respect the enforcer. So in their mind, well, it's just Rocky Thompson. He's probably bullshitting. I'd love to see the proof, this and that. And, you know, I don't believe him. He's, he's probably full of shit. Well, why would you say that? Because you don't like that he was a fighter. You don't like that he was an enforcer. He's still a hockey player. But, you know, there's always those people that are going to say, you know, bullshit, whatever. And um, I, I hope... See, I'm going to reserve judgment because I want to wait. I'm sure more will come out about this story. I will believe Rocky Thompson until I'm told otherwise. Uh, I met Rocky a few times. Really, really good guy. Uh, And I'm going to believe him. Put out this statement publicly. So he's putting his own ass out there on the line with that statement. So I'm going to believe Rocky until I'm told otherwise. And, uh, you know, it kind of hits home for me a little bit because uh, this past week, my family, well, we got our first shot and uh, we were not thrilled with that. We're still not thrilled with it. Uh, we are not anti-vax. Uh, we just uh, we're not comfortable with it. And, um, you know, some people think we're uh, crazy or whatever. Uh, it's It just was something that uh, since it hasn't been out long enough, and I know people say, trust the science and all this other stuff. Well, listen, you know what? You know, I don't know what to say. We we just were not comfortable with it, but I'm going to need it to work in New York City because New York City is an absolute shit show. I don't think you can use a public toilet in New York City now unless you show your papers and um, you can't go anywhere in New York City. And all of the uh, houses that uh, have performances are requiring proof of vaccination. Uh, all of the houses in our union, I believe, are requiring the, the double vax. And, um, you know, I don't have a choice. So even though uh, I'm not comfortable with it, I had to get my first shot. And my two sons, since they go to schools here in New York, also had to get uh, their first shot. They have to get their second one in in, uh, a few weeks when I get mine. Uh, My wife, of course, did not need it. And, uh, but we're a family. We stick together. Uh, We're all for one, one for all. So she got it with us. Um, You know, I know there are people that say, well, you have a choice. And yeah, you know, if you want to talk about going places like sporting events or um, movies, if, if, well, really anywhere in New York City, you need, you need to have your vaccinations. And yeah, um, it is a choice if, if you, uh, if you don't want to get uh, double vaccinated and you can't go to sporting events and everything, yeah, then you made your choice. But um, it doesn't really apply when I'm, one half of the of the people in this house that make money to support this family and my kids need their education um so it's not that easy oh well you know i've heard some imbeciles say well why don't you just move i mean that's just idiotic anyone that's ever moved before knows that's easier said than done uh and then where am i moving and where am i working and where am i moving and where are my sons going to school so um I never talk about this stuff on social media because I, for as much as I 
talk about the uh, the subway incident and everything. Uh, other than that, I'm a pretty private person, and it's nobody's business. Uh, but with this whole thing with Rocky Thompson, uh, I was um, not happy because it's not like he's making a choice because he doesn't want it. He cannot take it due to a medical exemption. So, um, so we got it. Uh, we're not happy about it. Uh, but 75% of this family needs it to, uh, to pursue their life. My sons need it to go to school. I need it to go to work. Um, we're not happy. Uh, that's for sure. We're not happy about it, but, uh, I'm not posting about it. I'm not doing anything. And I really won't talk about it. If anyone, uh, posts about it on social media, uh, I'm not going to get into it. If you want to message me, if we're friendly enough where you want to message me, uh, that's fine. But really it's, it's very simple. Um, we wanted to wait as long as possible and, uh, and see what happens. So, uh, but we weren't given that opportunity and now we just wait and see, and hopefully, uh, hopefully nothing happens down the road. So, uh, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so, uh, but it's not about me. This was about Rocky. And, um, hopefully if, if this is true and he had to step down because his medical exemption was refused, I hope he sues the league. And, uh, I hope he gets, I hope he gets whatever he's looking for, because, uh, if it is a medical exemption and, um, and they're, they're forcing him to step down because of it, I think that's garbage. So, but like I said, I'm going to believe him for now. And, uh, until I'm proven otherwise, I stand with Rocky and I wish him all the best. Um, something else I want to touch on, basically talking about people and their opinions, you know, social media right now, well, <laughs> social media forever, but Let's talk specifically with the Islanders. So obviously with these vaccines, uh, teams have made it very clear if you want to attend their games, you got to be double vaxxed. You got to show proof of vaccines, right? And hey, they're independent businesses. I respect that. That's their rules. If I don't like it, I don't have to go to the games. I get it. That's it. I know there are people that have complained about that. And I know there are people who think it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yes, let's make sure everybody is vaxxed. Let's make sure everybody is this, everybody is that. Way to go, team. Way to go, Islanders. And again, all the teams, I believe, have done this. But let's stick with the Islanders here. Way to go, Islanders. Way to stand strong and care about your fans and all this other stuff. Make sure everybody's double vaxxed. You know what? Excellent. Because me personally... I don't care if you're double vaxxed and I don't care if you're vaxxed. It's none of my business. You do you, let me do me. Okay. But the funny thing is, if you remember when the Islanders got Kyle Palmieri and he had to shave his beard, oh my goodness, then all of a sudden, well, that's archaic. I know that there, he should sue the Islanders. What kind of a policy is that? Well, you, you can't have one, you can't be okay with one and not be okay with the other. They're a team, they're an independent business. Their rule, Lula Amarillo's rule, no beards, no long hair. Come playoffs, go nuts. But until then, that's lose rules. And the funny thing is, a lot of the people who are saying, yes, go Islanders, thank you for making sure everybody is double-vaxxed, those were the people complaining about lose rules with Kyle Palmieri and everybody else. You can't have it both ways, folks. Both ways. You can't have it both ways. Me personally, Islanders want to make sure you're double vaxxed. Fantastic. Couldn't care less. 
I'm going to be double vaxxed. Whatever. I'm not out there protesting. I never would have been anyway, even though I didn't want the vaccine. It's their business. It's their job. It's their arena. If the Islanders want you double vaxxed and you want to go see an Islander game and you're not double vaxxed, what are you going to do? It's their, it's their right, and they, they're going to enforce it. Brilliant. Fantastic. Go nuts. But you can't say go team with the Islanders, making sure everybody's double vaxxed, and then go, this is bullshit. Why does Kyle Palmieri have to shave his beard? Why does he have to get a haircut? Why does Matt Martin, when he came back, why do you have to get his haircut? Now, be be consistent. If you're going to be anything, please be consistent. You can't, on one hand, say the team has every right to do this, and then on the other hand, go, Kyle Palmieri should sue. This is bullshit. So all I'm asking you, for you numbnuts on, on Twitter and, and Facebook and all the other ones that are complaining about one thing but supporting another thing when both of them are team policy, just be consistent. Just really remember, the Internet's forever. Just remember what you posted about one thing and apply it to the other thing. That's all I'm asking. Is, there, is consistency too much to ask? Finally, the debut – well, I guess there's two more things. The debut – of the Danbury Trashers documentary hit Netflix this week, Crimes and Punishment. Man, what a great documentary that was. Now, I've watched all of the documentaries that they've put out so far in the series, and uh, they've all been really, really good. They've all been well done. Mouse in the Palace was excellent. Um, there were a couple other ones I'm not going to say because I don't remember the title. Uh, one was on uh, Bruce Jenner. Uh, one was on... Um, God damn, why can't I remember? Christy Martin, the boxer, the female boxer, really probably the, you know, the the first big name combat sport female. That, uh, God, was she an ass kicker? Really, really good episodes. But this Danbury episode was unbelievable. Now, for the hardcore hockey fight fan, you, it might leave you wanting more because if you're a hardcore fan and you know the story of the Danbury Trashers, you know all the guys that played for the team, hockey-wise, they, they do barely scratch the surface. I think everybody that knows the team, knows the game, knows the history, I think we can all agree on that. They do barely scratch the surface on the on-ice stuff. But you have to remember something. The documentary was made for the mainstream, and they had to tie – the hockey team in with the FBI stuff. I, uh, I was fortunate enough to go to two games, uh, back when they were playing. And I, and I was thinking to myself, why did I only go to two games? But then I remembered we were still living in Philadelphia at the time and not that Philadelphia to Danbury is a big trip. And I do regret not making, uh, more trips up there to see games, but, uh, but we were in Philadelphia because we didn't move back to long Island, until 2011, a few months after the subway stabbing happened. So uh, so we weren't back here then. We definitely would have gone to more games in Danbury had we been on Long Island. But um, the first game I went to, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, Mr. Galante and A.J. Galante through uh, Jared Burnett. Uh, Bernie, uh, Bernie introduced me to them. Really, really great people. Uh, really, really, you know, nice guys. Look, they were first class to me. I still keep in touch with AJ a little bit uh, through social media messaging and everything. You know, I he I, I can't say anything bad about them because they treat me great. Well, they I, I don't speak to Mr. Galante, I speak to AJ, but just that night it was almost like, hey, you're a friend of Bernie's, you're a friend of ours, and 
it was just it was just this really cool environment where it really was they were the bad boys and it was them against everybody else and if you were on their side you were on their side for life and maybe i spoke to to the galantes for a couple of minutes because it was kind of a big deal there and uh so i didn't speak to them for long but really really nice people great people you know i'm always pro italian american and uh you know i don't have a bad thing to say about them um the documentary itself obviously it focuses on the physical aspect of the trashers and it was great to see uh my buddy Ruman Ender in there it was great he looked great uh i don't know if Rooms is listening to this but uh, i texted him right after and i said i love the uh the hockey pictures when he was a kid it was great to uh great to see Rooms in there uh but one thing i'm really glad that they highlighted was they were a pretty good team and uh, I know sometimes that gets lost in the shuffle with the mystique of the Danbury Trashers, but they were a pretty good team. And, uh, and I think that gets lost and uh, it was nice to see, but um, if you're someone that isn't familiar with Danbury and you know what I laugh at now, the whole week since this documentary has come out, uh, different people associated with the show have been doing interviews with people who have no fucking idea who this team was back then. No clue. Okay. I see Mike Rupp doing a bunch of interviews. Uh, the former play-by-play guy, Phil, he's doing a lot of interviews and everything. I don't, I'm sure AJ's been out there. Um, but again, it's like anything else. It's like the flavor of the week. So now all the mainstream people who never cared about them, now all of a sudden they want to get them on there. And I love that. I love that for AJ and, and Mr. Galante and everyone associated with the team. But it just, it does make me laugh because it's just typical, you know, mainstream people that just want, they want a piece of something when it's hot, but when it was going on, they didn't really care, but that's, that's a, um, a pet peeve of mine. Again, I'm, I'm happy. I'm happy for everyone associated with Danbury that this thing has become so big uh, it hasn't even been out a week yet, and it's just massive. And uh, I was messaging with AJ earlier in the week, and I said, you know, with this thing blowing up so much, I, you know, I hope you're considering maybe doing a reunion at some point, bringing all the boys in if you can, as many of them as possible. And, uh, you know, I, he didn't say yes or no, but, uh, you know, obviously he's not going to tell me that, but, uh, but how great would that be? I said that would be some fucking party, getting all those boys back under one roof, uh, I think Danbury would explode getting everybody back in that arena. I think it would be something. And uh, they had a watch party that, unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to. But please, if you have Netflix, I mean, everybody has Netflix now, right? <laughs> go go watch this Danbury Trashers documentary. It was fantastic. Finally, like I always say, uh, well, not like I always say, and again, I need that jar because I'm so sick of repeating myself, but... I do collect game-used jerseys, gear, all this stuff, you know, that uh, people think, why do you collect that stuff? But jersey sticks, gloves, helmets, uh, anything from uh, people associated with the Islanders. Uh, tonight, my guest, Dean Trebojevic. I don't have anything of Dean's. If you have something of Dean Trebojevic that uh, you don't necessarily need anymore or are looking to sell, I would love to uh, chat with you about adding it to my collection. Uh Anybody I've ever had on the show, I'm interested in. Anybody that has played for the Islanders, has played for Bridgeport, Salt Lake City, uh, Springfield, Capital District, Fort Worth, Texans, anyone like that associated with the Islanders, 
if you have something that you think I might be interested in, <coughs> excuse me, please get in touch with me. I would love to see it. And of course, the one thing I am on the hunt on more than anything right now is the white home Islanders 48 jersey, which probably does not have a name on the back anymore. That is the jersey worn by Dean Ewan. I have the blue version. I still don't know why I didn't buy the white when I had the chance, but if you see that jersey floating around, number 48, no name on back, Islanders, <clears throat> please get in touch with me. So now I want to tell you about my guest tonight, Dean Trebojevic. Um, if you Google Dean Trebojevic, if you go on YouTube and put in Dean Trebojevic, one incident is going to come up. Uh, it's a pretty well-known incident. And uh, honestly, uh, I found out something during this chat with Dean that I did not know. Uh, I, I never seen it reported anywhere about the incident. And when he said it, I, it kind of blew my mind because I have never seen it reported anywhere. There was never any follow up to this incident anywhere. So I was kind of surprised when he told me. But it's sad because Dean had a really good career, played in a lot of different leagues, you know, a scholarship athlete in college. A uh, dominant high school hockey player in Minnesota, of all places, where hockey is king. And a lot of times this guy's career is reduced to one incident that, like I said, you, you may learn something new about the incident like I did today because I certainly didn't know this. So uh, I hope that you enjoy this chat that I had with Dean Taborovich as much as I did having to chat with him. So uh, get comfortable, buckle up. And I hope you people enjoy my chat with Turbo, Dean Trebojevich. I've been in the ticketing business since about 2005. And basically, um, you know, I've sold tickets. I've done reservations. And when I've worked the reservation window, you always kind of scan through the envelopes and you look and see. And there's always some names that pop up. And, you know, whether it's uh, someone that's in the entertainment industry, in the sports industry, um, you know, um, media, things like that, those names always pop out. And uh, in my time in the industry, I have had my fair share of people like that. And uh, I've also had some celebrities. And uh, one of those celebrities is here with me today. And uh, the last time I saw him, I guess, was probably about 15 years ago while I was working at Madison Square Garden. And uh, I believe he was there. To, uh believe you were there with your wife to pick up tickets. I just don't remember what you were there to see. So Dean Trebojevic, first of all, thank you for joining me. And second of all, can you do you remember what you were at Madison Square Garden to see? Well, I'm happy you got me here, Joe. Um, I do remember uh, Scotty Gomez with the New York Rangers versus uh, Pittsburgh Penguins. I'll never forget it because Crosby was playing. It was a hell of a game. Rangers won. And uh, I got to say that you really got me. I, it, it just it just <laughs> took me two steps back because you called me. You called me out, and I thought, how did I piss this guy off? And <laughs> you, you, you got me. And, I, you know, it, it dawned on me who, who you were uh, back, but it just – it was so odd getting called out in a ticket line trying to pick up tickets uh, to go to a game. So just uh, just definitely caught me off guard. Well, the funny thing was generally if it's someone, especially with the hockey players, you know, since since I've been fortunate enough to meet so many of you guys, um, when we would get an envelope and I would see someone that was coming to pick up tickets that I know, 
or and we all do it if it's a friend of ours or whatever we just go to everyone hey if this person comes to your window send them over to me or call me over whatever so when i went around with that envelope everyone was like all right i'm definitely not forgetting that name so uh, no problem and then when i i saw you in the lobby that's when i waved you on over so uh, but that was a lot of fun so i was happy to see you again definitely a unique name you know <laughs> there's there's only so many out there that they that needed a vowel my family never uh, Never knew that when they entered the country. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dean, once again, thank you for doing this. And uh, so we're going to start with your hockey journey here. And my first question that I ask everybody is, um, when you were a young kid skating maybe on the frozen lakes of uh, Minnesota, uh, I believe you were born in uh, Bovee, Minnesota. If you're skating on the lakes of Minnesota, skating in a rink in Minnesota, who were you as a young man? And, and by that I mean, when I was here on Long Island playing street hockey, I always wanted to be Clark Gillies or Bob Nystrom. Uh, who was a young Dean Trebojevic? Well, surprisingly, it was, uh, I used to love the Broad Street Bullies, and Bobby Clark uh, was one of those tenacious ones. You know, we didn't get to see many hockey games because, one, we never had cable, but it was more stories on how uh, gritty and tough people were, and I, and I wore number 16 uh, growing up when you're in, in the sports, but we were, I played multiple sports. So I played, you know, football, hockey, baseball, even ran track. And, uh, we did about everything up there, but I, I used to love, uh, all players with tenacity and Bobby Clark, uh, was that gritty guy. And I was going to ask you about playing the three sports. Uh, a lot of times the sport that uh, a person ends up playing professionally wasn't even their favorite one to play. It may have been just the one they were best at. Was hockey your favorite or would it be football or baseball or track? Well, I uh, surprisingly, I really had a passion for football. But uh, I think my dad and I had a heated uh, Thing and I never, I never even played football my senior year. Although I was, um, I led the team in tackles, and um, I think I really thought I was a pretty decent football player. But in all in reality, you know, I was too small at, you know, six foot. I don't think I was fast enough. I, you know, in a forty perspective, I could run, you know, a four eight. But at only, you know, two hundred pounds, you, you're just, you're just not good enough. And I don't know how it translated because I was certainly pretty fast on skates, but I, as a runner, um, you know, pretty average. <laughs> but football, definitely, uh, I definitely have a passion for it. Still watching it on TV. Um, and, of course, the Vikings are my team, and I take a good swift kick in the balls every year from those guys. <laughs> but I'm still there. Well, I still got my open cook jersey. <laughs> well, well, as a Bills fan, I'd like to thank you for Stefan Diggs. Uh, he's been a wonderful addition to the Buffalo Bills and uh, for Josh Allen here. So I'd like to thank you for Stefan Diggs. Oh, son of a bitch. You had to rub, rub that in. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, even though we're about the same age, I think the Vikings have had a little more glory years than the Bills. So, so I've been through the ringer with my team too. But uh, talk about a missing piece. He was unbelievable for them last year. So, uh you know, Unbelievable. Thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah. So we're going to jump to your, your high school. And um, 
I think we all know um, certain sports are big in certain states. And I think uh, everyone associates football, like high school football with Texas. And I think uh, if you're not from there, you even know that. And I think with Minnesota, I think people associate hockey with Minnesota. How big is high school hockey in Minnesota? Well, it, it still is very, very big and where I grew up, there's nothing else really to do. Sure, there's other sports, but, you know, pretty much everybody is groomed to play hockey and you get a large number of who's ever available in the area and that's what you do. You're going to play hockey. Uh, even the people that didn't, it just carries on. It's like everybody's associated at some level to hockey. So what do you do on a Friday night? You know, everybody goes and follows the high school hockey team. Unfortunately, you know, they only play you know, 20-odd games a, a year, which is kind of silly to me, but th- that's all they'll play in high school. But they got, I mean, they it's glorified. They have bands. They have a high school band. They got a cheerleading squad out there. Um, I mean, it's pretty much full-blown. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big event, and everybody gets hyped up for one game. So you train all week, and then, boom, Friday comes, and, you, and it's just 100 miles an hour, you know. Yeah. So it's, it's a big deal. And I would imagine it gets very provincial within maybe different sections of towns where you might have a high school a couple of miles away from another high school and there's sort of that rivalry between towns. Oh my gosh. My, the town right next to me is Grand Rapids, Minnesota, who had a very successful uh, high school team. And we were kind of the, uh, the grunge team next door, the Greenway. And we had a battle and Grand Rapids more times than not beat Greenway, but my parents worked. My dad worked at a paper mill in Grand Rapids. My mother worked at like a like a Home Depot type store uh, in Grand Rapids. So she associated with the Grand Rapids people all the time. And you know they wore their color orange, and she wore the green. And you know, God forbid we got beat. You know, it was it was talked about for quite a while, not yeah. just a few days. It was the till the next time you played. And so guess who got to hear it, you know, you know, <laughs> me. So bottom line, you know, don't lose. You know? <laughs> I bet. I bet. Now, um, I, I'm going to ask you about this guy uh, later in college, but uh, did you overlap with Mike Peluso in high school at all? I did. I played, uh, I played some baseball with him and I played football with him and hockey with him. Uh, him and I were uh, defensive partners and see he played defense in, in high school he wasn't a forward like he played in the National Hockey League mm-hmm. so he played defense him and I uh, were often partners on defense and then you know he went and played juniors in Canada and and then he left and then he went to play for Anchorage mm-hmm. and uh, I just saw how he was just getting a lot of success he got a lot of playing time I went and watched him play one time in Duluth and um I mean, he was really doing well, and I thought, man, that's, I knew where he came from as a fat kid when he, <laughs> when he grew up. No lie, he was a real pudgy kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was talented, but he was, he was as round as he was tall, it seemed like. And uh, anyways, as he grew, as he got older, you know, he leaned out, got into shape, and, and I kind of liked where he was going. So that's why I went to Anchorage. We ended up playing a couple of years together in Anchorage. And, uh, you know, he, he, he was a big deal as part of my life and we, I know his family and oh yeah I'm very familiar with the Palouse 
Uh, yeah, and I mean, I mean, his career was amazing. He's won uh, when obviously won Stanley Cups with the Devils. He won a Turner Cup in the IHL. So, uh, so he's a kind of real easy guy to root for. I met well for me, yeah, but especially someone like you that knows him on a personal level that has to make you know be really good for for his friends and the community also. Uh, he was top notch. Um, sticks up for you. You know, when I played in high school, I was a small kid. I don't know what it was, but I didn't grow. And when him and I were defensive partners, I'll never forget somebody had hit me, and we had the in the final game to go to the state tournament. A uh, guy had hit me, and I mean, he flat out decked that guy, yeah. and that was the highlight of the state tournament reels down there, where he had absolutely clocked a guy sticking up for me, yeah. which is kind of funny. I look back at it now. He <laughs> <laughs> was just kind of meant to be, uh, you know, a tough guy. That's for sure. Yeah, it's in the blood, you know. Yep. Uh, yep. So, how did you end up uh, in the USHL with the Rochester Mustangs? Well, former uh, Greenway goaltender, uh, who's now coach of uh, Air Force, Frank Territory, um, he took over the junior team in the USHL, and of course, you know everybody knows everybody back there. But um, I actually didn't take my college entrance test, if you can believe such a thing. So I missed the timeline where I needed to take it to get accepted to school because I already had scholarships to Anchorage and to Fairbanks. Okay. And a the schools were talking. So um, Frank Saratori, you know, invited me to come play down there. And um, he explained to me, because if you didn't play for Minnesota or you didn't play for Duluth, you, you pretty much went to college. You did, you Juniors wasn't a thing uh, in the United States at the time. Not very many people took that path. And when I went down there, I was kind of worried about that too. But, man, as soon as I got down there, I really learned that that was when you get to play so many games and, and high intensity and you get to see what's, what's uh, all around you, all in the country, that there's, you know, there's good players everywhere. That, that was a really big stepping point for me to go play some juniors. Now, uh, the other night when we spoke, I told you I was going to ask you about uh, some teammates, and, and most of them would be tougher teammates, but I think I'm going to throw you a curveball here because uh, you played with the guy who actually played roller hockey here on Long Island one year. I remember he was highly recruited by Phil DiGetano, who was the coach and the GM of the Long Island Jaws, and that was Tony Zabo. Uh, what kind of a player was, uh, was Tony back in the USHL? Tony Zabo was as slippery as it gets. He just had unbelievable talent. Always a comedian on the bus. I mean, he was, I mean, a goofball in a good way. Everybody loved him. I mean, that guy, he did, but he had just sick hands. And uh, it would be like, you know, today where everybody has just beautiful hands. Not everybody had those back in the day, but Zabo had those. And he had a wicked curve. And, and you know what? His most thing I can remember is the bus trips because he was all about shenanigans on the bus and stuff, and, uh, you know, everybody loved Zabes. Was, Tony was a great guy. Yeah, I met him a few times when he was here. Seemed like a real down-to-earth guy, and the thing that amazed me was um, a lot, of, and some of the guys that I've spoken to that have played both 
roller hockey and ice hockey say the transition is not easy at all. But by this point in his career, he was an established name in the RHI, in the roller hockey world. And it seemed like he didn't miss a beat. I mean, he was, like you say, slick is the right word because I remember Phil, Phil was like hard after this guy wanted to get him, wanted to get him. And when he was out there, he was, he was fantastic. Yeah, just he's just slippery, and he, and he really had a wicked shot. Uh, for it just it was hard to describe because he was just kind of unorthodox about it, and he had an uplift on his stick, and it was just be bar down in just a second. So um, he was ahead of his time, that's for sure, with his hands and skill level. Uh, how did you find the uh, the style of play in the USHL as compared to high school? I would imagine that uh, it was a little more physical. Uh, yeah, I say it was as far as physical all the time. High school was because there was a lot of football players. Everybody liked contact and stuff. Mm-hmm. So contact was always there, I think, in big hits. But when you play a lot of games, you're playing three times a week, you know, you have to learn about management. you got to keep your body, you know, in shape. And you're just every game, you know, you got to get up for it. And so it's not waiting till Friday you know, to play, you know, you're going to play on a Tuesday and a Thursday and a Saturday or something like that. And you better be ready because you're going to be pushed every single day. And um, I pretty much always was a physical person on defense. So, you know, believe me, Frank Saratori let me know if I wasn't playing physical enough for him. So we played rough, that's for sure. And uh, you won a national championship, uh, national championship with Rochester, correct? That's right. We beat Detroit Compuware uh, national championship um, game. That was that was pretty thrilling. That, that was that was a big deal. Detroit had a nice club. Was that your first championship of any kind? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. And it was a, a good group of guys. I I think we had on our Rochester team eventually I think 14 players ended up play, playing division one hockey off, oh, wow. off of our team. So we had, we had, but more of the gritty ones, not like you'd see that we're lighting the uh, lights up a lot. They were more of the mucker type yeah. gritty. And um, yeah, I don't, I mean, we had Bobby Melton from Chicago who put the puck away. Daryl Norn, Daryl Norn oh, yeah. scored quite a, quite a few goals. But other than that, it kind of dropped off and, and uh, we we just played rough, you know. You know, not everyone is born with uh, God-given talent, but work ethic is something that, you know, you can uh, foster and you can execute. So, uh, you know, colleges, I'm sure, especially the bigger colleges, you need grinders and everything. So uh, it's no surprise that you're saying that. There's no question about it. If you can have all the talent in the world and if you don't bring it, somebody's working hard, they're going to beat you every single time. So. And- the, that year, uh, you had uh, you ended up in Switzerland. You made the USHL All Star team. Uh, what was that? A tournament that you went to, or we went to a tor- tournament. Uh, the new Westminster Bruins uh, junior team was over there. Uh, a Slovakian team and the Swiss Swiss team. And out of that out of that group, uh, we played in the tournament in Laysan, and uh, we ended up winning that tournament which was kind of fun. And we, you know, we had, uh, uh, we, we got to play with all the all-stars, you know, I got to meet uh, some Thunder Bay guys that I ended up being friends with for a while. I mean, it was just a fun, just a great fun tournament. My parents even went over surprisingly and got to see that part of the world. It was just an awesome trip. 
Now, you, you said New Westminster was there. Now, New Westminster in the Western League always has these really violent teams. Uh, did they play that old New Westminster style during the tournament, or did they keep it clean? I got it. No, they were wicked over there. Yeah. So they link Gates, uh, Darwin McPherson, uh, Brent Hughes, and I'll never forget this, and I'll probably probably get myself in trouble for saying this, but uh, Brent Hughes was when we when we played him. They tried to intimidate everybody out there, and Brent Hughes wasn't a very big guy, and I'll never forget um, he was he was just running everybody out there and calling everybody out, and he was just chirping me pretty hard, and and you know if you got in a fight they would they would likely throw you out. You know, you know, if it was kind of a skirmish, they would have thrown you in the box, and I didn't want to get thrown out. And I thought, boy, would it just be nice to just kick the living, you know, crap right out of you. <laughs> well, we come down, and we end, I end up in the IHL playing them against them in uh, Houston. Mm-hmm. And we kind of had a line brawl going out there, and him and I were at center ice, and I hung my hands aside, and he, he would not fight me. I kept, I punched him in the face, like, two times and he would not bite me. I'm like, all I could remember is back in that event. Like, you know, yeah, you know, you, you, know, you were calling me out. Well, <laughs> here's your shot. And uh, we never had a go, but I just kept thinking about that moment. Like, well, here's, here's your time now. And this was years later. Yeah. Oh, that's so hilarious. Never, you know, I, I mean, yeah. Like I, I knew that, you know, we had discussed this all-star team and you discussed Switzerland, but I, we didn't discuss that New West was there. So as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, my God, New West. They always have a bunch of, of enforcers, and they play physical. So uh, I said, I, ha- I have to ask you about this. You told about Hughes and McPherson. Uh, I know sometime, I don't know if Spenrath was there at the time, but they always had tough players. Yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd have to look at that roster. I don't remember, mm. but I, I remember Link Gates for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm pretty sure he got thrown out. I mean, they, they literally, they, they, they went after everybody and just intimidated everybody. Their box was just penalized heavily. It was just kind of their thing that they were there just to fight. And, and, uh, but you know, our group wasn't going to be pushed around. So we, we rose up to it and, yeah. uh, we beat them pretty good, yeah. um, on the, on the scoreboard, but I'd have to look back at the score, but I just remember we, I know we we beat them, but I th- I thought it was by you know three four goals, mm-hmm. but I may be mistaken. I might have to look at that. But I, but intimidating wise, I mean, Link Gates is a big man. Yeah. So those <laughs> those McPherson, you know, they they're intimidating and they're used to fighting. And the, at that time, you know, we would in the USHL, you know, there there's there's not very many fights at all. Maybe there's one every, you know, five games or something at that time. Right. Um. <clears throat> so. Uh, as you mentioned earlier, you ended up at the University of Alaska Anchorage. Um, did you have other options uh, that you were considering? Uh, like, I think you also mentioned Fairbanks. Was it always Alaska that you wanted to go to? No, I wanted to be a Minnesota golfer. Um, oh. They uh, they took Lance Pitlick over me, um, who had a hell of a career. But, you yeah. know, they so. <laughs> When you everybody wants to be a golfer, they can kind of thin the scholarship money out, and right. you know you have you have no money. I, um, I was looking, a couple schools were talking, but they never uh, came through, like Colorado College, and um, most mostly it was the Minnesota golfers. I toured the school, and 
Um, I mean, that was kind of my dream that I wanted to be there. But the next best thing I thought, oh, and St. Cloud, too, was going back and forth. Herb Brooks um, had, you know, recruited me there at St. Cloud, went to St. Cloud, talked to Herb Brooks. And, um, you know, I thought Anchorage was a better fit for me because I, I knew Herb Brooks wasn't going to stay. Mm-hmm. And so um, I left to go to Anchorage. And, and I knew that I on a bigger ice service you know, better skater that I would, that I would do pretty well there and have enough, you know, Mike as a, as a friend there, just kind of as somebody to kind of chum with or hang out with. That was a cool thing. So I went North. So that was why I made it North. Now, um, how did you find the transition to the college game? And, and uh, in addition to that, I want to ask you, it's something I ask all the college guys uh, because it's, it's a debate. And most of the time everyone has the same answer, but I always like to ask guys who did it. I think the college game is way dirtier than the pro game because everyone in college is wearing the full cages and everything. And no matter how big you are or how small you are, uh, everyone thinks they're King Kong out there because it's very hard to hurt someone wearing a full cage. As someone who played both pro and college, which is a dirtier game? There's no question college because once again, here they are playing, you know, a two game uh, week and everybody gets amped up. And they train differently when you're in college, uh, shorter schedule. And there, they, the, there was way more lifting at that time and stuff like that. And you're really protected with a lot of gear and the face mask. The sticks are high all the time. Even though in, inadvertent sticks, you know, got, your face got prote- protected. But as soon as you get up where you're not wearing a face mask in the pro, instantly. And anybody who's really tough, you, you try to take a liberty check on somebody in, in the pros while you're – you're going to be tested right there, typically, and somebody's going to call you out, and you're going to have to stick up for yourself. Um, and so it's patrolled definitely at the pro level. In college, you know, you can you can be 155 pounds and you know run around, and you know nobody's going to fight you because they don't want to get thrown out of the game. So in the pros, you know, it's who cares? It's five minutes, you know. I got a funny story about that one. Can I jump ahead of you a little bit? Go ahead. Go ahead. And uh, so I was down in Richmond, you know, Virginia, playing in the East Coast Hockey League. I'll never forget Dave Allison was a, uh, definitely a, a tough guy in his time. And, and he's mentoring me down there. And it's the first, first couple games. And it, it seems like I, was, I started to be the only guy that got in a couple fights. And... and uh, Something happened out on the ice, and it was a, I think it was a two-to-two two game, and, and I got back to the bench, and Allison, he goes, Turbo. And I looked at him, and he goes, why, why didn't you kick the shit out of that guy? And I said, Dave, it's a two-to-two two game. I don't want to, I don't want to go in the box for five minutes. He goes, fuck the five minutes. <laughs> you set an example on him line right now. And so I well, you know, he's willing to sacrifice five minutes, you know, for the betterment of, of intimidation. I'm all aboard. So, anyways, I'll never forget that as long as I live. He goes, you know, fuck the five minutes. <laughs> I still laugh about that to, to this day. Well, as we're talking here, anytime you have a good story like that, even if it's not in chronological order, feel free to throw it in, jump ahead. Uh, that's what it's all about. So that was a great story. Um, 
the reason why I asked you about the transition to the college game is because uh, I guess it was after your freshman year, you won the uh, uh, Alaska Anchorage most improved player award. So is it something where as the season went on, you got more comfortable with the college game? Well, I, you know, they, I don't know. They, I always did work hard. And so I, I don't know. They, I think they just had to fill a plaque to be honest with you. <laughs> I always worked hard and I was just improving. That's just kind of who I was. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I was constantly uh, in the, in the gym or running or doing something to improve myself. So maybe by default, I, I got it. I don't know. There was, I think there, I, there was only seven freshmen mm-hmm. that were you know, in there and two really only played. So, you know, I, I, I didn't put much pride into it. I just worked hard anyways, and it meant nothing to me. And we all played as a team. It, it didn't matter if somebody got the MVP or not. You know, everybody relied on everybody. So um, the, all I was ever thinking about was, was just making the NCAA uh, tournament and, and trying to beat some of the, the really big schools that I really wanted to go to. You know, that was, that was pretty much my goal. Uh, who were some of the rivals uh, that you had? Uh, was Fairbanks a rival, or were there out-of-state rivals uh, that you had? Our hugest rival was Fairbanks. Um, we didn't have very many people. Our arena fit probably 6,400 people, and we would normally fill it probably you know, 4,500 people a game. And then when Fairbanks came to town, you know, it would be sold out. Yeah. And they sell tickets outside. And they had they had blue chip player, you know, Sean Chambers played for oh, okay. uh, Fairbanks. Uh, he was really good. And then we held, they also had a really good player. He didn't go for it, but Keith Street was a very good goal scorer. And it, it would go back and forth uh, between us who would win. But they were, they were just loud I mean, it was a total package. They were rough. Um, always a bad referee call because you never had good refereeing up there, it seemed like. Just a crappy call could could turn the, the tide and the fans would be pissed. And when you go up to Fairbanks, it's just an absolute different world up there. And you, and you go play a game up there and the fans, I mean, they're throwing stuff on the ice. And it's, and it's a rowdy place, that's for sure. Now, um, your second year, in college, uh, if and uh, I think this is correct, I think your second year was Mike Peluso's last year, and it was the freshman year of another physical defenseman who we've talked about already, and that's Jeff Batters. Uh, yep. I was fortunate enough to meet Jeff uh, when I went to visit Dean Ewan out in Kansas City, and although I was only there for a couple of days, uh, Jeff was an unbelievable human being. What a great, great guy, and uh, unfortunately, he's no longer with us, so um, but I believe that was the only year the three of you played together. Can you tell me what it was like? Uh, uh, I guess maybe uh, being both of you being defensemen, maybe did you take Jeff under your wing? And um, obviously he's an easy guy to get along with. What are your uh, memories of playing with uh, Jeff? I just just instantly chumming around with, with – uh, he, he automatically fit in. I mean, the way he lived his life, I mean, he worked hard. Uh, he also played some lacrosse. He stayed – he stayed really fit, and uh, you know he was—he just—it was like having one of your brothers. He just instantly fit in, where he's clowning around with the guys, and you know it's that off-ice stuff that really uh, ties your team together. And he was one of those guys where he just had that 
contagious giggle where he's starting to laugh and you're you're instantly smiling and he was he was just fun to be around now that year like i said with you and jeff and mike peluso the three of you obviously enjoy the physical game um was there an uptick maybe with the three of you guys there um you know maybe getting a little more physical with some teams or was it just business as usual we just played you know it you're going to think I'm crazy, but Mike Peluso used to thrive on uh, getting points because he used to love playing the, the power play. And he was a pretty good athlete. Oh, yeah. And I, he he really didn't play that rough in, in college just because he was on defense and he didn't get to run at guys much. You know, he could push, he'd clear the front of the net for sure, but he was not a rough person as far as I saw in college. Um, Jeff Batters definitely was. I mean, he played he had a strong base, and, and you were going to get the business down below with him, that's for sure. But we had, you know, we had Lauren Knopf played years in the Colonial yep. uh, League and, and, and stuff. And, um, you know, we, we, we had some players who definitely got gritty, that's for sure. Did you ever make the tournament that you, uh, you so desired to make to maybe uh, exact some revenge on some of those bigger teams? Uh, during our schedule, I mean, we ended up beating the golfers. Okay. Um, we we beat the golfers. We, we beat Minnesota Duluth. I mean, we beat all the big teams uh, that we played. We swept Boston College my senior year. I mean, they had Billy Garens, Hines, Emma, McKinnis, and they were saturated. Yeah. And we, we ended up sweeping that team. And it was just nothing but absolute grit that beat that team. I mean – it was embarrassing how much talent that Boston College had over us. Yeah. But, you know, we flat out outworked them. And that's where, you know, the, the talent didn't work that, those those couple days, you know? Yep. Did, um, did you enjoy beating the Gophers maybe a little bit more than everyone else? I've never seen my dad so happy. <laughs> I, that, that's no joke. Yeah. Um, we, we went in there and we literally ran them right out of the rink. Um, we were so physical with those guys. And I remember I hit one guy and the, the door wasn't really closed on their bench. I ran them right through the bench, but every hit, you know, um, I was following through as, as hard as I could. And, uh, I just had to play so much harder just because I just wanted them to know that they, that they definitely made a mistake not picking me up. So I definitely played as hard as I possibly could when I played when I played them. That's for sure. Well, that reminds me, uh, being that you're a football fan, you've obviously heard of Jack Lambert, who, in my opinion, is the greatest of all time linebacker. I I love him, and uh, there was a thing where Jack Lambert was a Cleveland Browns fan growing up, and he always wanted to be drafted by the Browns. And when he wasn't, they said it, he made a point to make sure they regretted it every time the Steelers played the Browns. So, uh, so you're in pretty good company there. <laughs> yeah, big fan of Lambert. Yeah. What the attitude on that guy? Oh man. Uh, all right. So um, you told me that in your four years of college, you were only involved in one fight. You care to tell that story? That I remember. Okay. I mean, okay. Always there was always somebody got punched in the head somewhere. <laughs> but I remember we had a line. Well, at the end, it was at the end of the game, I believe, last play, and it got together, and all of us were out there fighting. And I, the Michigan Dearborn uh, guy ended up challenging me, and I just thought, wow, what a, you know, 
here's my chance. I get to that guy. And it was so, you know, uh, unorthodox. I still had my gloves on, but he had his mask and we didn't take helmets off or nothing. I just jacked him white with, <laughs> with a punch. And it just, it was so funny because it spun his helmet halfway around his head and he was trying to pull it off <laughs> after I hit him. And it was just the fans absolutely went bananas. And Palu- actually, I think Peluso was out there fighting at the same time, too, if I'm not mistaken. I'm pretty sure he was. Okay. But it was everybody was out there on the on the ice, you know, wrestling around. And uh, in fact, it was, I, I don't know who he fought or whatever, but it was just, a you know, with the masks are on. And the, like I say, everybody's chirping at five foot nine with a, with a mask on. And uh, the guy, it certainly was, but it was, it wasn't smart for him. That's for sure. <laughs> I hit him pretty good. Oh, I'd love to see the picture of him with his helmet twisted around. <laughs> oh, that was so funny. It was just twisted. It was like it was stuck. Yeah. <laughs> so, so college is over. How did you get uh, invited to Calgary Flames training camp? Well, I made some calls, and uh, I knew my high school coach was a is now a San Jose Sharks, still San Jose Sharks scout. He had been scouting for years, and I got to where I had called Kevin Constantine. Constantine ended up being a San Jose Sharks coach he was a pittsburgh penguins coach he was uh you know he coached kansas city in the ihl anyways i got a hold of him on the phone and in northern minnesota that brainerd was a hockey camp that brought in you know some players that you could train there uh, to get ready to go you know uh play pro well i called him up and i said kevin i'm gonna you know, this is my name. He goes, I know who you are. I said, well, look at, I want to, this is, I want to play pro. It just doesn't seem like I'm getting anywhere. I, you know, I, to me, I'm, I'm better than people that are drafted. How, how do I do this? How, can, can I skate? Can I train? What, what, what can I do? He goes, well, how long do you want to come down for? And I said, well, the whole summer. And, uh, I gave him literally all the money I had in my bank account, which was like, little over two grand, no kidding, to the penny, everything I had. Mm-hmm. So I skated the whole summer down there, and they had some scouts that came through, and I saw Dave Allison there. But uh, right at the end of the uh, – they had the, the Olympic team go through, a U.S. Olympic team go through, and they also had some of the Kansas City players that went through, and Calgary's players, some of their – Raga, like Sandy McCarthy was there, um, but he was 17. Mm-hmm. No, he was 18 at the time. So he, he went through, and uh, as I was training, you know, right in the last couple of days, Kevin Conson uh, calls me into his office there in the, in the camp, um, and, and he says, uh, congratulations, uh, Calgary's invited you, you to their training camp. And I'm nice. like, I can't, I couldn't hardly even talk. I was just so damn excited. I was like, Calgary, you know, because I was in San Jose Sharks, you know. Yeah. Just because of contacts, but Calgary went through, and I was so damn excited. He goes, well, the way you do it, here you're going to – here's the paperwork. you got to sign it, and you're going to overnight this envelope. We don't do anything any other way. You're going to overnight it. I said, yes, sir, give me it, and I'll sign it. And I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't run to the uh, uh, mailbox quick enough to get it to FedEx overnight, you know, for him. That was, that was exciting, that's for sure. So that's how I ended up uh, going to Calgary. 
And when you go to Calgary camp, Calgary always, always had uh, very physical camps. And uh, they had some veterans in camp. And I believe you had mentioned that uh, you ended up fighting uh, Richard Zemlak, who was uh, a, a very, very established veteran at that time. How did you end up scrapping with uh, Richard Zemlak? Well, not knowing who he really was at the time until I really remembered watching the Minnesota North Stars games and watching him get in a fight. But, yeah. it, you know, it was on a breakout pass. And, you know, he, I don't think he thought anybody was going to hit him. And I literally blew him right off of his feet. Well, the whistle blew, and I really wasn't expecting anything. And he just skated by me. He didn't cheap shot me. He just kind of bumped my shoulder. He goes, you want to you try me? And uh, I was at, Joe, I was waiting for it. Yeah. I was really waiting for it. Because Kevin Constantine says, you need to do something to get noticed. You know, I said, what do you mean fight? He goes, well, you better do something. And so I'll never forget it. Him and I went at it because I was, you know, I worked out on the heavy bay quite often. But so I, you know, I, I was going to throw both hands and him and I went at it. And I, th I remember throwing, I don't know how it happened, but I threw a couple punches and, and, and knocked him down to his back. And as he was laying on the ice on his back, he threw one last one while the linesmen were coming in kind of sideways and he cracked my nose. And the next morning when I, woke up it was it looked like it was completely swelled shut wow. and they said that i i couldn't finish the camp unless i wore a visor and so then with my name being chuyevich everybody thought after that not knowing me that and the next inner squad scrimmages that i was some european uh <laughs> player which is with the with the visor so but yeah zemmer and i had had uh one goal right away now, uh, you also told me that um, you uh, you had, um, let's say, you almost had a fight, another uh, another incident, uh, but not with one of the, the tougher guys on the team, with probably the team superstar in one of the inter-squad uh, inter games. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, and I'll tell you what. Um, Doug Gilmore was in the corner, and I was containing him, and and I knew about respect. You don't you don't hit the, the superstar. But I but I had him pinned and he literally turned around and he cross checked me almost in the face and got me in the chest and instantly his gloves come off and he's he's gonna throw him with me. And it, it I was just so surprised. I'm like, Are you kidding me? You know, this is Doug Gilmore, he's gonna throw with me. And so my gloves come off and I locked him out and I'm just ready to start throwing him. And I, I kid you not, Joe, I had my teammates and their teammates jump on me. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I had, you can imagine, I still got this uh, lens on, uh, or shield. It's all full of snow. And I'm, <laughs> I'm going back to the bench, and I got Doug Gilmore just chirping me along the, he's, he's coming to get me, he's coming to get me. And I'm just thinking, yes, even my teammates and your teammates were <laughs> my ass and, and uh, I'm wiping out my shield so I go in the box and uh, I get my shield clean up and they skate and, and uh, he's with Gary Roberts out there um, their line they, they score a guy I think they had Makaroff uh, Roberts and Gilmore on one line um, unbelievable Yeah. so they end up scoring so they get the line changed then I go out and as they're coming to we're coming to the center ice I was just kind of look, going in my direction, and Doug Gilmore comes, just rips after me and hits me. And I look at uh, Doug as if I'm going to 
if I'm going to fight him, and Jim Kite grabs me right from behind mm-hmm. and in a headlock and just kind of bulldogs me to the ground. And I'll, I'll never forget that because it's one of those fights where I regretted not uh, getting up and, and just cleaning his clock. I, I, I know I'm, I may be talking, everybody's going to roll their eyes, but I, when, you know, I did a lot of powerlifting. I, I know his strength. He just did not feel strong when he had me down. And I thought, I can take this guy, you know. So the bottom line is I didn't fight, and, and it's just uh, in my own head. But I, it's one of those ones where I was mad at myself mm-hmm. for not getting up. But my fear was I didn't want to, because the, the coach said on the bench, you know, no, he's really not wanting to see all the, the fighting. He wants to see what kind of skill level you got. Mm-hmm. So that was clinking in my head, too, you know, don't be out there just, just fighting. Show them, show them your skill level. And so that's kind of why I didn't, it wasn't, I definitely wasn't afraid of him. But yeah, yeah that was, that was all in a matter of, you know, two shifts that this happens. Yeah. So exciting. I guess, sure. I guess Gilmore was one of those guys who thought you were a European. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I love that guy. Man, what a player. Yeah. Man, what a player. That guy was awesome. So that's after, sure. I'm sorry. Um, after camp, you find yourself down in the IHL with Salt Lake. You're there for five games. Um, yep. Two guys I want to ask you about, uh, both former guests of the show, two guys I love. Uh, any? And I know you weren't there that long, but do you have any memories of playing with Paul Cruz and Kerry Clark? I do. Those guys love to fight. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of funny because I ended up playing with uh, Clark again later. Mm-hmm. I fought too, but, um, you know, at the time he was uh, – he was a little different, just was looking to fight all the time. And I was only there for seven games, but it just seemed like, boy, if there was going to be a fight, there was, well, there was Sandy McCarthy was there too. Mm-hmm. So Sandy would be looking to fight. Cruz was looking to fight. And, but I'll tell you, at the IHL that time, there was tough guys all over the place Oh yeah, in, in the minors. And I just never picked going down to play the Gulls and Peoria. And it, it was so routine to see you know, easily five, six fights in a game. No question. And those guys, um, they would get up there and really throw them. They would exchange them. And, uh, you know, they it had a long career out of it. And obviously, you know, either you're meant for it or you're not. And those guys definitely were meant to be tough guys, that's for sure. Now, although you're only there for a handful of games, did you get to see the Kerry Clark moonwalk and three amigos goal celebration at all while you were there? I don't think it was invented at the time. I think he ended up when he played for Springfield. I think he played for Springfield in AHL. I think that that's where that was. I don't. I never saw anything like that with the Golden Eagles. Okay. Yeah. No. It was actually invented in junior. Believe it or not, he he had been doing that since Saskatoon. Really? Yes. So uh, maybe never had the pleasure of seeing it. <laughs> I know that moonwalk and three amigos led to many a fight in every league. So that's why I was wondering if you uh, if you had the privilege of seeing it up close. So I had not. Even when I played with him and and uh, played against him in Orlando, played against him, um, played with him in yep. uh, Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. So, but I never seen him do that. Okay. So. But I saw a video of him doing that. Oh, yeah. 
got a chuckle out of it. And that's the only time I've ever seen that. Yeah, so. no, it's uh, and if anyone wants to go see it, I know uh, there's a video of it on YouTube back from his uh, days in Springfield. So, uh, right. yeah, so no, it's classic stuff. Now, talk about diving into the deep end. So now here's this kid out of college. You're uh, you're in Calgary camp. Now you're down in the IHL and uh, you had seven penalty minutes, which obviously means one fight. And uh, the guy you fought, not very big stature wise, but uh, I mean, someone that everybody knows that's listening to this show. He spent some time with New Jersey and that's Mitch Wilson. Uh, what was it like fighting Mitch Wilson as your first professional fight? Gosh, I had my friend try out for the goals at the same time, Steve McSwain. And he said, hey, terrible. Like, it's unbelievable. I get to see you trying out for, you know, um, the, the team. And he goes, God, I, I said, you need any pointers? I'll tell you what. He goes, you need to get into it. You need to get into a fight. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I want to go out there. I said, well, he goes, well, if you fight anybody, don't fight Mitch Wilson. And I looked at him like, why the hell would he say that? You know, I'm like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight Mitch Wilson. So... <laughs> So I didn't really know it was Mitch Wilson at the time, but it was behind the net, the net and I and I threw a pretty good check on him. But he was he was a shorter, just stout guy, and I hit him, and he instantly turned around and he had his gloves off. But he was he had fallen down. He's just getting up, and I read across his back Wilson, and I'm like, oh my god, here it is! I'm going to be fighting Wilson, and it just like a grinding noise. He's like, you want a piece of me? Here's your first fight in the IHL. And I instantly had my gloves off. And my adrenaline was flowing so hard. And, and uh, ended up, you know, hitting them three really good good ones. And I and I said, man, that, I bet you he's just all swollen up tomorrow. The next day when we played him, it didn't even look like I hit him. It was on the, that just made for fighting. I mean, he, he definitely was a tough guy. And uh, it was pretty funny because you never know who's watching. Um, I have a friend that was got back uh, in, on a Navy ship down there in San Diego from Afghanistan. And uh, he was he was watching late, late in the rerun of the game on the TV. And he's calling back home because he sees Trebojevic in a jersey. So he calls my mom, wakes my mom up. You know, he's drunk. He says, is Dino... Is Dino playing in San Diego? I think I just seen him fighting on the TV. So, <laughs> that's pretty funny. Anyway, so you never know who's who's watching you. Some of your friends, but it was, it, it, anyways, it was Mitch Wilson, and he was a mean, nasty. Tried to, he tried to reach in and gouge my eye. I'll never forget the fight. And I, I was gonna bite his finger. I, it was, he was a nasty man. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. That's old school. He's old school, man. That's it. That was the old school meeting the new school there. Oh, yeah. Big time. Big time. So uh, you played uh, five games there, and then um, later in the season, you end up with Richmond Renegades. How did you end up in Richmond? Well, that's where Dave Allison was in, in uh, Brainerd watching. And, he, mm-hmm. he, you know, before I went to Calgary, he says, well, listen, Turbo, he goes, if, if it doesn't work out for you for whatever reason, he goes, I think you're going to, you know, catch on a team there. But if it doesn't, would you give me a call? And he handed me his, his, his card. And I said, okay, I will. Well, you know, when, after the flames released me, cause I was the only guy not under contract. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I flew to Minnesota and I was just going to go back to school and finish my degree. And I thought, 
nah, the hell with it. I'm going to call Dave Allison, and I'm going to give this a, a, another go. So I called him up, all excited. And my, when I talked to Dave, I said, well, I, I want to play in the National Hockey League. I just don't want to come down. I want to develop. However, whatever it takes, I want to get playing the National Hockey League. That's my goal. And uh, I'll tell you what, I went down to Richmond. And he played the living crap out of me. I was the first one to get called up to Capital District Islanders. And even though there was Islander draft choices on the team, mm-hmm. I was the first one to get called up. Um, it was quite the experience, you know, being with Davey Allison. And he was really mentoring me at the time, running, you know, some of the stuff that he learned, you know, in the, you know, as a defenseman and stuff that, you know, just an extra little bit to get you to the next spot was just key for me going down now this is you know we, we've discussed a lot already but this is still your first pro year and uh you spent some time with salt lake now you're in richmond you mentioned uh dave allison but uh the assistant coach there was someone who has uh, who had a history of uh playing very violently and very physically and that was kurt brackenberry uh did you learn any tricks of the trade from kurt you know what um he was our physical trainer I'll, ne- I'll never forget, and he would just love to during practice to kind of wrestle yeah. some guy. And uh, he was a very fit man. I couldn't believe how how fit he was. And uh, anyways, him and I would would wrestle and and grip, and he would, you know, show you how he was locking on on the ice. And yeah, so yeah, he was he was definitely helping because he he loved the rough stuff. Oh, he played that way, yeah. So uh, there's probably some of his stuff on YouTube if you're interested. But, yeah, that's another old-school guy there, Kurt Brackenberry. Um, yeah. You had a couple of guys there that didn't mind the rough stuff either, and that was Trevor Converse and Andy Bezo. Uh, any memories of playing with those two guys? Andy Bezo. <laughs> yep. Man, playing with him, I just never forget. He, was th- he never changed as a player. I mean, he was just an antagonizer, like your Sean Avery type guy, probably two times worse. And <laughs> he could back it up, boy. He he threw some bombs, but he was always starting something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was a conniver. You know, I loved him on my team. Yeah. That, you know, but playing against him, he would absolutely drive you absolutely bananas. But, but pound for pound, boy, that... That dude's pretty tough. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Andy Bezo, Converse. He only he got in a couple. Mm-hmm. He did he he did okay. Mm-hmm. But it, again, that was such a short time for yeah. me there. Twenty games that I that I I bet he only fought a couple times. I got you. So, uh, so uh, <clears throat> excuse me. So that year, the only fights that I know that you had. I'm sure you had more than the two. You had 100 penalty minutes. Uh, I know you had a fight with Corey Bolio, who was with Louisville at the time, and also Steve Shaughnessy, who was with the Cyclones. Uh, do you remember either of those fights? I do, and uh, it's nice not knowing, you know, people not knowing who you are mm-hmm. out there. And I, I just think I don't know if I had the the uh, European look to me, or I don't <laughs> because of the game, but they just. They made a mistake, and I just remember getting Corey uh, off balance when we went at it. And so when I spun him, I was able to hit him a few times off balance pretty good. And um, but he was a—you could tell, boy—he's a tank. He's yeah. a strong guy. He's a strong guy. Mm-hmm. And, and I just—I wasn't in there to to throw back and forth. 
I was going to, you know, I just played, a, I felt I played a strong defensive defenseman's game and I wouldn't back down from a fight and I would get in it with these guys, but I was very good at wrestling. So I would try to get them off balance. And then right when they were off balance in their skates is when I would, I could either throw with my left or my right hand. Mm-hmm. And that's, and I, I got Corey off balance. I remember that fight, that was kind of a short one, but I threw him off balance. I hit him a, a couple times with it. Vega, I mean, this so many years ago. Yeah. And then Shaughnessy, I fought right in front of our box uh, in Richmond because uh, I, I was going after one of their players around the rink who cheap shot at one of our guys, and I chased him. And that's where Shaughnessy, you know, went after me. And then we ended up, we ended up throwing him back. But that was actually a pretty good tilt yeah. back and forth. Uh, you know, a tall guy's definitely got a nice reach, and uh, we both threw quite a few punches in that one. Now, uh, in in this uh, this season where you played for three teams, you did score your first professional goal with Richmond. Do you remember that goal? Boy, I don't. Okay, <laughs> but I remember some of the fights. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I always I always try to throw that out there because uh, you know, obviously. With the way this podcast is, we're going to talk about the rougher times, you know, the rougher style, the the fights and everything. But I like to throw the goals in there a little bit, you know, just to show people that, you know, even as a defenseman, you could light the lamp every now and then. But uh, but that's OK that you don't remember it. Yeah. You know, I, I you know, the funny thing is, is I did play the power play and I was I was certainly one of their, their more talented players. Talent, most talented guy definitely on the team was Trevor Job for sure. Um, and he was a hell of a goal scorer, um, but you know he 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 seemed to have his problems with with uh, uh, with some discipline, and he he got treated team to team. But he was about the best goal scorer almost I ever seen. Um, I mean, the one guy one time after he, the Allison got all over him, and the next game he come out and he got five goals, and he put up an absolute clinic out there. I mean, he, he was nothing short of Malkin out there. He, I mean, he was just a magician with the puck. And I thought, oh, my God, he really is good. Yeah. You know, yeah. Where is he for the rest of the games? <laughs> so, Deborah Joe is a hell of a player. Well, as you mentioned, you were the first player called up to Capital District. And uh, that is why you are on this show right now. Uh, and uh, as we discussed, when I uh, when, whether it's I have players on the program or I see them or talk to them and uh, your name comes up uh, everybody just you know they get this big smile on their face and uh, just everyone has glowing glowing things to say about you so uh, so what I like to do especially with the Islander guys we're going to play a little uh, name association here Uh, so I'm going to give you some names uh, more so than excuse me any of the other teams Uh, and if you could just tell me what what memories you have uh, whether it's anything in particular or just uh, anything about these guys so are you ready yeah, I'm ready. All right, first guy, Dean Chenault. Dean Chenault. I uh, ended up, you know, when he was up in the Islanders, he would, uh, him. he had an extra room when I finally signed on, so I lived with him a little bit. Tough as nails. I remember watching watching him and asking him, how was the, how was the show? How was, how was Dennis Potvin? How was, you know, because he played with those guys. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, trying to pick up pointers from that guy. All I thought from him was just leadership. I watched him fight, and I was like, holy balls. Is this Dean Chenault tough, yeah. you know? And so I tried to, when he was working his drills and watching him stuff, I was trying to mimic what he was doing 
to go up. I mean, Dean was a good guy. He's one of the first guys that welcomed me yeah. in, in, in the locker room. Uh, very nice guy. I loved him. Uh, Rick Hayward. Rick. Oh, he was second in line. And he was always, <laughs> if there was a practical joke to be done, that guy. And he loved to fight. That, that's for sure. And he was always in the shenanigans. If there's something going on, he's right in the middle of it. Um, and I always, I went to his, his house. He'd invited me, come on over, come on over. He goes, we're going to whip up something. I'll whip up some spaghetti or something. You know, me and my wife will have something for me. And he would always say, come on, you're always welcome. So he'd always, you know, invite uh, to come over to his place. So, I mean, I loved, I would have went to war for that guy. Ricky, he loved him. Uh, Dave Chizowski. Loved him. I still, you know, I went and messaged him to when the uh, U.S. played Canada in the juniors, you know, because mm-hmm. he was talking about how he he, he had won the, uh, the Canada Cup way back when. And I was in bewilderment why he was down in the in the minors. Yeah. And he had the most wicked uh, wrist shot that just came by. It just made up just like a woohoo somebody just shot it so hard. And I just loved it. He was just a, at the first day, I think he got in a fight with, I think it was Desette. I think him and I, I think it was him that got in a fight, just had a full blown tilt. The, the first practice that I went to, <laughs> like, what the hell was that about? Did it? Anyways, I got to be good, good friends with Chanel. He invited us over. He cooked, uh, um, Dean and I, some pierogies. So uh, I'll never forget that. So he carried the Polish name and cooked us pierogies so that's what i remember about dean uh or dave shazowski i was just about to know but shazowski um definitely check his instagram because i know you're not on instagram but he still cooks a lot and uh he always posts a lot of the stuff that he cooks and he hasn't done it lately which i'm going to get on him for but uh, some of the stuff that he comes up with it, it looks amazing so uh so you might want to just get on instagram to look at chisers uh food <laughs> well chanel was all over him apparently he forgot one couple of things and so chanel was all all over him where's this and where's that and <laughs> And it was kind of funny. I'm just kind of smirking because I was so grateful just to kind of have a, you know, a meal and hear Dave cook all this up. And we had breweries and I'm, I'm from the old school Minnesota. We have all foods up, up there. And that was right up my alley. So I was just thrilled. But Schnauf was all over them. Well, oh, I'm sure. We were the ingredients. It was, it was quite comical. <laughs> well, the guy you just mentioned, Wayne Doucette, he was next on my list. So uh, what are your memories of Deuce? Oh, gosh. It just seemed like out of out of anybody that would fight, he just seemed to be at first appearance that he would be the least likely guy that would get out there. And man, he just was willing to participate all the time. And I just remember, um, you know, it's probably not politically correct anymore, but you know, we'd be showering after the game and we'd introduce each other like wrestlers. Yeah. And you know, East Thunder Bay, Ontario. Wayne Doucette, and, and anyway, so I would do some Indian dance or something. He wasn't from Ontario, but I, I mean, but I can't remember which town he was from in Canada, but him and I were nonstop goofing around yeah. with with wrestling, imitating wrestlers, and <laughs> uh, loved it. The Macho Man and all that stuff. Do you? I was just going to ask you, do you do a Macho Man imitation? I do. I put one on TikTok about a month ago, and everybody's 
have, has been giving me crap. I've, I've definitely lost the, the little bit of the technique, but I would do Hogan and the Macho Man and, um, oh gosh, a few of the others, uh, Paul Bear, just a lot of the goofy stuff. And the, that was something that the guys on the team would just love because I would ham it up off here. We'd be on the bus killing time and I'd be doing, you know, interviews with guys. We'd pretend we're in a, a wrestling interview, WWF style and, and uh, I'll just never forget the guys with tears in their eyes laughing with the macho man, Randy Savage. Can you give yeah. us a little macho man right now? Probably won't sound that good, but I'll do my best. All right. All right. Here, here goes. Randy, the macho man, Savage. Yeah, let me tell you something, do you? I've been around you, I hate you, I hate you, yeah, yeah. Maybe someone that hate you as well, yeah, yeah. Give me some, yeah. That's the, that that's was the, that was excellent. I, who? Wow. You know what? Now when we hang up, I have to go on uh, TikTok. I don't really go on it too much. I have it, but uh, I'm gonna have to go follow you on TikTok because I think that was pretty damn good. I only did two of them, and. Uh, Anyways, it, my my kids are like, you need to get on TikTok. You need to get on TikTok. And I'm like, what the hell is TikTok? And so they got me on there, and I did two videos, and that's all I had. And I did two two uh, Randy Macho Man uh, things. And my wife goes, nobody knows who Randy the Macho Man Savage is. These kids don't know it. And I'm like, well, it wasn't for the kids. It was for people my age. You know, they're kind of remember the Macho Man. You they know? know. Trust me, they, they know. <laughs> I have no respect for him if they don't remember who the macho man Randy Savage is. Oh, they know. I mean, trust me, especially now, there's so many wrestling documentaries out there and everything else. So these kids know who the macho man is. Trust me. I think your wife, I'm sure she's right most of the time, but I have to say she's wrong on this one. Yeah, I'm going to have to stay with you there too, Joe. (laughs) Couldn't be more wrong. (laughs) All right, next, Kevin Sheveldayoff. Oh, yeah. Chevy, yep. Who, who I ran into him years later coaching too. Mm-hmm. I loved him. He's another one that I would pick his brain for. Um, he was hurt when I was yeah. at, at CDI, mm-hmm. so I really didn't get to see him play too many games. But that was one of the best character people that you'll meet, as far as being real and and genuine. As Kevin was just a guy, just pure gold. Is all I can say. And even down the line, when when I'm coaching. I ran into him, and uh, he comped us tickets for a whole um, Alaska team down in Chicago to watch the Wolves, yeah. the Wolves play, and uh, saw him afterwards. And he, you know, he talked to the guys on our team, and it was just a really cool deal. And he told a couple stories about me to my team. It, it was just a lot of fun, and it was really nice that I came across that guy. Uh, because he was just a pure gold, was all I can say. Yep. Uh, Dean Ewan. Dean Ewan. I used to love him, and I loved food. And, you know. <laughs> he still does. <laughs> yes. He still, him and I love food. And he would always, we'd be talking a few fight, fight stories all the time. And uh, I just remember him and I being so excited for lunch. It was being funny. <laughs> <laughs> That was probably our curse. But, I mean, I, another one where you just got to love his giggle and you just, it, when you meet some of these people, you, they're, you know, I guess to a stranger, they could, they, 
could never figure it out. The super nicest, nicest guy off the ice can get on the ice, you know, and he, he's going to tear your head off. Mm-hmm. So that, that uh, he could he could definitely turn it on and off. But I, I love that's another guy that just definitely stands stands out because he'd be one I sit sit next to on the bus or something like that and go to lunch with. Uh, Great guy. Uh, I got three more names for you, uh, Graham Townsend. Boomba, yes. Mm-hmm. Another guy I wanted to, I mean, that was another one mentor I could talk to. Um, love that guy. Yeah. I mean, I would ask him about the Boston Bruins, you know, when he got called up, everything. Uh, um, he was just a human specimen, too. Yeah. You see the size of that guy? I mean, he, I mean, he had he had just muscles everywhere. He was just chiseled. Yeah. And he was the nicest guy. I, I can't believe it. Yeah, I saw him getting a few fights there in the minors, and and you know I'm asking about you know, you know, why didn't you do this or that, and just talking some strategy in the fight. It just, but he was so nice and so open. Love the guy, great character person too. Uh, speaking of character, Chris Pryor. Chris Pryor, yeah, he was the well, he was like player coach, and he was yeah. another one that hurt. And then when I, when I. Uh, Went back and he got to play. He started playing again. But yeah, that guy. You talk about work ethic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was nonstop. He'd be riding the bike for a couple hours. I mean, the guy. Every time I saw him, he was just a puddle, puddle of sweat from working. <laughs> I mean, he he definitely put in the time. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, and I saved uh, I saved this guy for last because you mentioned him a few times. So I think he had a pretty big impact with you, and that was John Blum. Oh man, having a guy like that playing for years. Um, who I had no idea who he was at the time. I come into the locker room, getting called up from Richmond, and uh, he's sitting right next to me in the stall, and I look at, you know, Blum. I'm like, I don't know, who's this guy? You know, I come in, I introduce myself to him, and he's, obviously he's an older guy, and he's got like this, he opens up this pack up, he's got some Sudafeds to get him through the day, he's got his coffee in the morning. I mean, he's just got his complete setup. He's got his sandals. I mean, this this guy's just dialed in to his his routine. And hey, hey I'm John Blum. How you doing? And hey, Dean Chaboyevich. And and we get to talk. He goes, "How's your year going for you?" I said, "I just got called the first day." He goes, "Oh, you're just up." He goes, "You getting any fights?" And I said, "Yeah, I got in my. I think I got about 10. 10. He goes, 10 fights," and he's yelling. We're <laughs> This guy's already been in ten fights this year, <laughs> and he's just loud. And and I don't know. I mean, I think he just got there as as well. Mm-hmm. But everybody knew John Blum there yeah. that had been there just because he had been, you know, played for the Boston Bruins, yeah. and, uh, some game for the Capitals, and even played for the Red Wings, and a lot of minor league games. Just mm-hmm. a just a polished player. But um, what a character! That guy took me absolutely everywhere. You know, brought brought me around. I'll never forget the time where he would always be talking about talking about fights. And Dennis Vial went after him one game. And I mean, this is no joke. I John Blum got definitely got the better end of Vial that fight. And I just never see anything like that. He was just screaming at Vial and he was telling about he was he was a joke in my in my day. He goes, I beat up tougher guys going to a fight, and I'll never forget that. It's like I mean, it was just going mental out there, and I just laughed. Oh my <laughs> so, god! But I mean, not I mean, yeah, another super 
tough guy. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. But but John John Blum happened to get the better end of him, and he he, he just put on a show afterwards that uh, that he he from he was definitely old school. Yeah. Sure. Uh, how did you like playing for Butch Goring? Loved it. Loved it. I got. I mean, he he uh, he just treated me really well. Um, the only awkward thing I ever ran into was Billy Billy Smith. Um, he was working with Jamie McLennan and the goaltenders, and um, I'll just never forget because they when they needed bodies. So you know, Travis Green and Dave Shazowski working the power play, and Dennis Vasquez, guys, and and I would be you know having a stand where they wanted me to stand down there, and Billy Smith is coaching goalies down there and he he got all over me he goes he turns to me he goes listen i don't know if you'll be killing power plays for us or 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 not rookie but you know this is how it is you know you, you, he gave me a great pointer though what he told me you know you know here the legend billy smith yeah. is you know mm-hmm. telling me what to stand but it was like you know why the hell did he say that <laughs> he goes i don't know <laughs> thanks for that cover but but i never read he was he was you know he suited up full suit Billy Smith, right, yep. right, and uh, and I just remember the only guy I remember there's Shazowski and Travis Green zipped a couple by him, but that's it. I mean, Billy Smith was still unbelievable out there. And Billy, uh, Billy's no nonsense. So he wants to get his point across, but he's not going to fluff it up at all. And and I can no. I can guarantee you, if those guys <laughs> scored on him, he was pissed. Oh my God! Yes, yeah. <laughs> I remember he was so pissed at Travis Green, and that Travis Green blew two of them by him. And uh, Travis had a had a really nice wrist shot, and they were both wristers from the top of the circle, and they were both of them were barred on. They couldn't have been a better shot. And Billy was just pissed. Yeah. At Green. <laughs> anyway, but uh, he he was definitely he was awkward. But Butchie Goring was a just a super nice guy, and so after. After practice one time, Butchie Goring, you know, skating around, and I'm always clowning. The guys love him because I was clowning around. And I'm like, all right, Butchie, you and I, let's go. Right now, right now it's for one-on-one, me against you. And <laughs> so Butchie Goring and him and I are going, I said, game up to five, let's go. And uh, here I am going one-on-one with, with Butchie Goring out there. <laughs> and, and, you know, he ended up he ended up beating me. I don't even know if we got we had to really muscle to get one goal because it was, it was pretty defensive. But I'll just never forget it. Go challenging Butchie Goring, you know, one on ones. It was it was it was pretty fun that he stayed out there and we had a one on one battle. It was just great. Love that guy. Oh, that's excellent. Um, I'm sure one of the things that made you attractive to Butch Goring, being with Capital District, is your style of play because uh, Capital District had this. Uh, violent, violent rivalry with Adirondack. Uh, probably in the short history of Capital District, I don't think any other rivalry comes close uh, than the Adirondack games. And the bulk of your fights that year were with Adirondack. Can you uh, had had you ever been involved in a rivalry that vicious? No, because boy, when you went and played against those guys, it was a guarantee. It was a guarantee that there was going to be minimum three fights there. And then uh, you were going to be challenged at some time and be ready. But I, at that time, I was, uh, you know, they had uh, Jim Cummins, who who was no slouch. They had Mark Potvin, Dennis Bial, uh, 
Kirk Tomlinson, and I may be forgetting. Oh, um, Keith Primo. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> big team, and yeah. Barry Melrose was a coach. Yeah. And he loved he loved his violence. So uh, it, it definitely, you if, when you played those guys, there, there was going to be violence in the house. You uh, the the fights that I have a record of, I have you fighting Mark Potvin twice, uh, Kirk Tomlinson once. I have you fighting Jim Cummins three times, but two of those fights were actually on the same stoppage at the end of a game. It was a line brawl. You ended up fighting him. And I was watching that earlier today, and I, I found the funniest part of it is the uh, officials are getting everyone else off the ice except you two guys. And I'm going, I would think those would be the first couple of guys you'd want to get off the ice, and they're getting everyone else off. And while they're getting everyone else off, um, I don't know if Jimmy said, let's go again or whatever, and then you guys started fighting again. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I definitely remember yeah. it because um, when we first started going at it, and I and I saw that video, and it's really far away, and – I remember hitting him and getting him over, and I, I hit him up. I don't know how many times. I, I was definitely getting the advantage of him. Yeah. And then I remember the refs coming in there, and I had a firm grip on him, and I went to let go. And then that's when he st- – because I thought the refs were going to come in. And that's when he started swinging again, mm-hmm. and that's where he popped me. And then it was just a melee. Yeah. I remember Ian Fraser just coming in and, and jumping on him. And, then, and I had torn my knee – out uh that game that's when i had to go in for a arthroscopy on my uh knee and then i went to east coast league after that and um yeah i I, i'll never forget that that fight because jim was a tough tough dude and um i would have never i mean his he would have never hit me had i had not let go right from from the ref so yeah him and i went at it if if that's all it is was three i I guarantee them. It seems like more than that, but it's a record show. That's probably maybe that was it. But it was either Mark Potvin, him, or Kirk Tomlinson. Well, the only ones; uh, those are the only ones I know that are on the uh, the DVD, the Capital District oh. DVD that I have. So there, it could very well have been more than that. But uh, those were the only ones. It was two against Potvin, one against Gunnar Tomlinson, three against Cummins, uh, one against Matt Hervey, who was with Maine at the time. And uh, I just found it funny that, with, with the exception of the Hervey fight, and again, you may have had fights that weren't on that DVD. They're all against Adirondack. Right. <laughs> and I don't know why. Yeah. Actually, but Phil Phil Crow was he with Hershey at the time? Um, and it was Monk. Maybe it was Monk. And, no, I can't remember. Yeah. I, I know. No, I fought Phil Crow. How'd that go? Really good. Yeah, I did. I did really well. Oh, excellent. So. I'm surprised that one's not up there, but I thought I, that was one of the first ones I got. Okay. Uh, into the the bad thing is back in the day, it really depended on who was doing the video. And, um, and actually I think it was uh, Wayne Doucette just told me the person who did the video was one of the players who was always scratched where now I'm sure it's, <laughs> you know, every team has their guy, their video guy, they're zooming in on the fights. Everything is 4d and, and all that stuff. And uh, right. like for that crow fight, if nobody gives the tape over or if the tape gets taped over, then it's lost forever, unfortunately. Right. Right. So, yeah. You know, but uh, yeah. yeah, so that that would have been a nice one to see. But I'm glad to hear that you did well in that one. 
Yeah, did did real well on that one. Now, uh, the following season, uh, you were invited to Islanders training camp, uh, and I think you kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit with talking about the injury you got in the Cummins fight, but you were invited to Islanders training camp, but you weren't there very long, were you? You know, I, I flew in. I'll never forget it. You know, it's a long flight, Anchorage. Uh, got there, uh, hotel, got up the next morning, took the physical, meet everybody down in there, and you say hellos, and Later in the day, Don Maloney calls me over to the Coliseum, and I'm thinking, you know, what's Don want to talk to me? I Because I wasn't signed. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, well, maybe he just wants to, you know, sign me in. And, and basically it was, you know, couldn't have been worse. Now he tells me, you know, hey, Turbo, you, you failed the physical, and um, we're, we're, we're not going to take you, but you can go down and play on our East Coast League team. And I thought, well, that, I said, that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I said, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go back and to Anchorage and, and uh, you know, just move on. Yeah. And that, because my knee was, it still was swollen because I, I still had to make a living. You know, nobody's life stops when you're working or you're playing in the minor. But you're, you know, you're making nothing yeah. unless you're like like a superstar mm-hmm. in, the, in the minors, which still isn't much. But so you got to work, and I work construction, and my knee just never healed. So I was always working out, but I never gave it that time that it took, and, and maybe I should have. So, but yeah, got sent home. That wasn't that was that what that definitely was a heartbreaker. That's for sure. One day. Wow. Yeah. Um, so you went home. And uh, that's when you ended up with the Alaska Aces, who at this point uh, were basically a senior league team, correct? Yeah, yeah. They uh, they had a group of guys that were left over from you know college that were still really good shape, good players, and they wanted to they want wanted uh, something to go see at the arena, and we were kind of frowned upon because our university had a nice nice hockey team and got decent fans and. Where were these bum aces, you know, because, you know, it's kind of funny when you get, as you grow older and you get everything given to you for equipment, you know, then you get on your own and then you have to buy some equipment. So you're looking for deals. You're going to get, you know, get your shin pads and stuff. And so we weren't the most attractive looking team out there, but we had a pretty nice uh, team. And we would, we would actually pay for teams to come on up from Minnesota and California all over the place uh, to come play us. There. Now, uh, two guys I want to ask you about. One guy, again, is not a fighter, but you actually mentioned him earlier. And I remember him because I, there used to be a magazine called Just Hockey, I believe. And uh, he was on the cover of it. And uh, I assumed he was one of the better players. And that was Keith Street. Uh, that's a pretty talented player right there, I guess. Keith Street was Ace's, you know, bulletin board boy just because he scored, he scored points. Uh, you know, nowadays where you, you see this move all the time where the, the, the puck is brought in back in between your own legs mm-hmm. and gone up a shelf. Well, he did that way back when where I had never, ever seen that. And I don't think anybody had ever seen that. And he pulled that off during a game many, many years ago. I mean, he was he just had magic, magic hands. And he was this skinny, sneaky guy. One of the he was, you know, he was Anchorage's Paul Pleo you know, the Colonial League or the job of, of, you know, the East Coast. I mean, he scored a lot of points. So he was Anchorage's guy, yeah. And uh, this guy, I think you have a million stories about, so I'll just let you uh, talk about him. Uh, and it, I think you're still buddies with him. Is that Tim Molly? 
Oh man, Tim Molly, fireman, um, absolute beast, uh, good friend to have. Let me tell you. So Tim Molly, after his career, his career, I I heard stories when I was playing in the minor leagues. You know that Tim Molly used to go and beat up Stu Grimson for fun, and I heard this from several people that get out of the game. And if you've seen the size of Tim Molly, he's a oh, he's just a beast. He's a, his hand is is definitely a hand of Shrek. He's a big man. So, and if you ever seen him pissed off, you just he's he's just one to you want to be thankful he's on your team. And I remember his stories about why he never played for the Edmonton Oilers, and it's the being at the wrong place at the wrong time. You know, they have Dave Semenko or Tim Molly, and so Tim Molly floats around them. You know, the minors, and it was I think it was just bad timing. But you know he he also scored he scored a hat trick when he was in the in the uh, minors. Nice. I find stories with him. I mean he just he told me a story where he set the record in the minors for most penalty minutes in one game. It was something like sixty three or sixty eight penalty minutes. He, as he was banging Mitch Wilson's head off the ice, he told me. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> way way back when. I mean yeah, Jamali was. Uh, I mean just a great guy. I'm. And I'm friends. I still play hockey with with his two boys. Oh yeah, and his daughter plays uh, in the in the first sheet before us in the women's with my daughter. So I know them all. He's very well. Uh, just a super super good guy. That's for sure. He'd give you a shirt off his back. Oh, but don't trust that guy because I, I I still say I don't I don't know if I've ever seen a tougher guy. <laughs> well, I know I know the two guys I'm hanging out. Uh, two guys I'm hanging out with. If I go to Alaska, that's for sure. It's you and Tim. <laughs> he's he's got some good stories. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, one fight you remember during your time with uh, with Alaska Aces when they were the the senior league was uh, you fought Wayne Van Dorp, who was playing in Vegas at the time. Uh, tell me about that fight. Again, another victim that fell to not knowing who I was. I'll just never forget. Uh, out of all places, we're playing in Vegas, and uh, he's—I don't know how he got invited to play on the team, but there he was. And and uh, as we were exiting off the ice, he cross-checked me right in the head, and uh, and it, this happened all before I could even think. And he went back in his locker room, and that's where Tim Molly and I—I I talked to him, and I said, "That guy's dead." I said, "I'm gonna—we're gonna have a go," and he—we're we're gonna fight. I said. Uh, because I, I knew he, he'd been around for quite a while and seen him, you know, playing Chicago Blackhawks. And um, he's a big man. Yeah. If you see his head, I mean, his, his head's like, you know, Guinness Book of World Records. Big. <laughs> he's, he's a big. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Anyways, him and I went at it and he didn't know who I was. I ended up doing the, my the typical grabbing him, getting off balance and hitting him. And uh he never returned after the fight. I, I, he never hit me, and I, I hit him a couple times, and he never returned. And, and I met him later in the, the, the bar afterwards, and he, you know, he had hurt his back, and he couldn't continue. So um, not that I, you know, dominated the fight, but he, he, he just totally underestimated or didn't even know who I was. And uh, that was the only fight that I can remember in the – that of anybody, of anybody's knowledge, of anybody's name, anybody because there just there just wasn't very many of them. Gotcha. Um, in ninety five, ninety six, uh, Alaska eight, uh, Aces now become the Anchorage Aces. They're now affiliated with the West Coast League. Uh, 
Um, 31 games, 17 uh, points, 121 penalty minutes. You play with another big dude named Chad Richard. What are your memories of playing with Richard? Well, that's another one that's, you know, unfortunately he's not alive anymore. But Chad was a um, kid that got invited to come on the team just because he was from the local area. And he was just another just naturally big bone kid. And he just loved to fight. And I just never forget one of his uh, first fight he gets in with the San Diego guy was, uh, um, oh, my gosh, Shoe Bottom. Okay. I mean, he he beat the crap out of Shoe Bottom <laughs> out there, and I couldn't believe it. Then I'm like, oh, my God, way to go, Chad. And so <laughs> the crowd would just love He was the crowd's favorite, Chad Richards was. And yeah. everybody loved him. He was gentle giant, but you know, off the ice, but when he got on there, I mean, he would be going after anybody, calling the benches on constantly. Yeah, he, Chad loved to fight. What, um, it seems like with a lot of the, the stories with uh, either it's uh, Anchorage or um, with the, the uh, Alaska Aces, what's the hockey scene like up there? Because it seems like a lot of the homegrown players get an opportunity to, to go pro with, uh, with, with uh, the Alaska teams. What's the hockey scene like up there? Uh, expensive, um, for the, for the youth, for the use, you know, um, Oh, you got to travel everywhere and, you know, you have to see the talent all over the United States. There's talent everywhere. Even when you least expect it, you know, look at Matthews from, from Arizona. So you travel all over and you get to see all these teams, but you know, it, it, it's expensive to get started up in the sport up there. Yeah. But they have, you know, they have the blessing that, there's a lot of former players that stay around and they coach that have played in the university or some pros. And so they, so they get taught, you know, good instruction ever since they're young, you know, going through all the training properly. And so when they get older, they end up, you know, being some pretty good hockey players, you know, Scotty Gomez, you know, being one of them, you yeah. know, um, Dubinsky, Dubinsky was a hell of a hockey player. Yeah. Uh, Nate Thompson. Nate Thompson, phenomenal! What a great guy too. Yeah. Nate Thompson, great guy. Um, you know, you know, you know Justin Johnson. Right? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Try still with us during the night. I want to get him on the show. I have no way to reach him, so uh, if you can help with that, I'd appreciate it. Yeah, I'll get you. he's he's quite the character. He comes and skates every Wednesday with us. He he comes and skates, and he's you know one thing with JJ. He's very he's very colorful. Yeah. And, you know, he's always stays in shape. He's just a wedge. And he's, you know, he's, he's the, he, he's like the rock to these kids. He's, he's the, he's the people's hockey player up here, as I call him. Look, you know, look at you working another the, wrestling reference in here. I love it. <laughs> the, the people's hockey player. <laughs> Well, if you if you speak to him, please let him know there's somebody here on Long Island that would love to get him on their podcast. Oh, I, I'm sure he'd love it. He, he JJ, you know, um, Justin Johnson, you know, he when he was a kid, I got invited uh, on the ice by my brother-in-law to come help coach, and there was JJ skating, and I was helping out, and um, so JJ was always this young, smiling you know, kid, and as I see him get older, he ended up playing for University of Alaska Anchorage, and they weren't doing very well. And J.J., I remember, he came, he saw me at one of the rinks. He's going, Dribble, you going to come watch me play tonight? 
I said, no, I'm not going to come watch you play tonight. I said, you guys are a bunch of wusses. Nobody's hitting anybody out there. I said, I ain't going to watch that crap. He goes, no, no, I'll hit somebody out there. I promise you I'll hit somebody out there. I was like, listen, I said, when I come to the rink, I want to see violence in the house. I said, it looks like a European hockey game up, but nobody's hitting anybody out there. There's nothing going on out there. You know, this kind of Don Cherry kind of how he went on. Nobody's hitting anybody. <laughs> like, he goes, I'll guarantee you, there's going to be violence in the house. So this is Doe Belotti. He comes back after he one-punches Scott that in his yeah. fight ever. And uh, when I came to the rink, he come running to me on the side. He goes, I promise you, Turbo, there's going to be violence in the house. <laughs> <laughs> That's what he told me. Oh, oh. That fight, I love that. I watch that fight ten times a day. If I, I love that fight. Yeah, yeah. Good old JJ. Yeah. So, um, how'd you end up with the Detroit Falcons? John Blum. Um, I was just on a whim, and and um, I'd had his number. Just to, I called and say hello and asked him what he was doing. He was coaching. He said, "Why don't you come down to play?" And and another thing, while well, you're just kind of lost and you're kind of baffled, just kind of just give me one more chance. Give me one more chance. And so John was coaching, and he organized a deal, and and you know I had, you know I they paid me pretty good money to come down there, to uh, to play, and he worked it out with the owner that said it was going to change our club around if we could get this guy, and you know I kind of begged my wife, and you know I just one more shot, and so I went down there and played, on the only if I could get, you know the next call, and he promised me that, and actually he delivered, he got. He convinced uh, Steve Ludzik to get, you know, bring me up on the Vipers, and, and it happened. So that, that was a good deal. Um, so I know you played with uh, Darren Banks in Salt Lake. Was he in Detroit at the time also when you were yeah. there? Okay, so how yep. was it playing with Banksy again? No, another character, another guy I went to lunch with. Um, you know, Todd Gillingham, I remember in Banksy in Salt Lake, they were all – over each other, just nonstop joking. And Gillingham was all over for everything. He was another signature funny guy. Yeah. But um, so Banks is in um, the Colonial League with me in Detroit, and nobody messed with Darren. I just remember uh, who was Paul Saint Cyr. Forget Saint Cyr's first name. Jerry. But I, I think that was. But anyways, he got one punch. Darren Banks one punched him, mm-hmm. and that was the first fight. And one of the only ones that I saw anybody test Darren Banks and Darren one punched him right there and just dropped him and knocked him right out right there on the ice in the Colonial League. Wow. So, yeah, I was I got to play with Darren Banks. Big dude. I have four names for you. Four names that uh, I know that you fought. Tell me what you remember about fighting the Mangler Mel Angelstead. Mel Angelstead. I remember Thunder Bay came down and I don't know what it was. John Blum, you know, I first get on the team. And um, he knew that I could fight. So Thunder Bay, it's just coming down there. They want to really intimidate you. So John Blum calls out and says, why don't you, why don't you fight? Why don't you fight this guy? Why don't you fight this guy? And, uh, you know, they're chirping. So it ends up, here I am, Mel Angelstad calls me out. And I end up doing really, really well. But he nails me. He nails me a really good one. And, uh, that was my first go around with Engelstead because they had also they had uh, Ramsey yep. on that team as well, mm-hmm. and and I played with Ramsey, and um, man, I mean 
he has an endless fight. The Volkos guys have endless fight teams. But Mal Engelstead was a was a he was seemed to be a lot bigger than me at the time. I, if I was to guess his size, I would say he's probably six two two thirty five two forty mm-hmm. would be my guess. Good sized guy, you know. But uh, I thought I, I I thought I did a lot better than he did in the in the fight. But that's my own personal opinion. But maybe in his opinion, he's you know if you interviewed him, he'd say no. I easily won the fight. So, anyways, since it since it's our podcast, I can say I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, how'd you do against Bruce Ramsey? You also fought him. You know that was kind of a short one. I had called, I had called him out, um, in in a couple of the uh, skirmishes out there, and he went after everybody. But when I called him out, we did not end up fighting. Then I forget. I grabbed a hold of him, and he had some kind of parameter if he got in a fight another fight he had some kind of suspension coming and she wouldn't fight and all of a sudden we are down in the corner on a face-off and all of a sudden because i was lined up right right next to him and he actually threw his gloves off and i mean he was throwing them and then as soon as i grabbed on that's when the refs jumped in so it it, it, it i guess it got credited as a fight yeah. but it me it really wasn't a fight just because it was i didn't even really no, I was really in one. Mm-hmm. You know, I eat. You know, he smacked me a couple of times, then I got a hold of him. Um, you know, and you better. It really wasn't a good example of a fight. That's for sure. I mean, in the in the books, yes, but mm-hmm. that fight didn't really get to go anywhere. Not that I would like to in the first place when we were challenged. <laughs> where we had room. So that would have been a test. So um, that that was a funny story because as we're playing together in the IHL uh, with with the, with the Griffins. And just before we're ready to go out on the ice, one of the players, um, Todd Nelson, asked, asked, asked me, he goes, hey, Turbo, you ever fight Rammer? And Dave Allison is standing right next to us as we go out. I said, oh, yeah, fought, fought Rammer. And, uh, you know, because Bruce is standing right next to me, you know, giggling. Mm-hmm. And uh, Allison says, well, who won? And I just smirked and said, I jumped me. And I tell you, everybody in the whole line, tears were running down for their eyes. You had a pretty much saying, yeah, I kicked your ass. <laughs> <laughs> What happened? Anyways, love the Rammer, love that guy. What a great teammate he is, you know. Just love him. So, uh, but it, it really wasn't much of a fight up in Thunder Bay. Uh, player from Saginaw, Eric Dandino. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, not, you know, I, I, I don't remember other than I, I did get in a bunch of them, and I don't know how it went, but okay. most of them. I always did really pretty good. Mm-hmm. I had a I had a nice reputation, and I was always solid on my feet. I wouldn't I would go probably going too far that I kicked their ass, but I always I always did well enough where everybody kind of gave me the pad slap. Like yeah, you know you, you still got it. You still did you know you still did good. And so, um, this season was uh, the first of a couple of run-ins. Uh, well, more than a couple that you had with uh, Jacques Mayotte, who I believe was in Quad City. Do you remember uh, the first time you battled Jacques? It was in Detroit. I'll never forget it because um, I just remember him. And nobody, he had, I didn't realize what kind of reputation this, this guy had. Mm-hmm. I didn't know Jacques, so I went in there. So I hit everybody. You know, I, I, just, I just ran right at him. And I hit him, and all of a sudden we ended up in a fight. And he was a strong guy. But I, I pretty much 
gave it to him pretty good, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, they got got broken up. So not, obviously not good enough. So we're facing off on the, on the next time we get there. And he's looking at me and, you know, um, Bobby McKillop, he's like, okay, guys, you know, no six, you know, keep it, you know, keep it legit. And, you know, he's, him and I went at it again. And I don't know how it happened, but, you know, it wasn't typical because he's a definitely a tough dude. But I just kind of overpowered him, and I kept, you know, I threw a bunch of rights, and Downey went on his back, and that was kind of the end of the, the fights. And and that was my first two occurrences with, with Mayock, is, you know, I ended up getting the better end of him, you know. And then I tried to fight him in, in Quad City, and he he just wouldn't fight me down there. And that was the incidences I had with Jacques Mayock. Mm-hmm in the colonial hockey league and i just never forget it because i said i signaled i got the because he used to always say after every fight that he had the belt <laughs> well i did it back to him. so, <laughs> so <laughs> definitely him and i definitely ended up with our problems after that that's for sure yeah i'd say so um well, you mentioned that uh, you were able to get called up. Uh, you played a playoff game with the vipers uh, that was uh, john blum and steve ludzik well, yeah, so I got, I wasn't, they got me, they had me up practicing with them mm-hmm. just to get extra conditioning to, you know, can I come up? Because I think they really wanted to, it was kind of my wish. So Blum kind of wanted to make sure that they saw me, that he wasn't bluffing because they're probably like, you know, who's Dean Chiboyevich? Mm-hmm. So I got up there and, you know, I think they really liked me. Um, so Phil Bork ends up getting sick up there so i get my chance to play and you know they're desperate so i go okay and it's not like they played me sparingly i played like a regular i was it seemed like i was you know every third shift i'm I'm out there i'm not playing power play i'm not the first guy on the penalty kill but i'm also playing penalty kill so i'm 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 playing quite a bit so phil bork was a guy who was super good uh he gets sick so i got to come out so i actually got they got to see me play, and I, I, I played a really nice game, I thought, and we bumped Indianapolis out of the playoffs, and then we ended up going to uh, Orlando after that. So, yeah. Is, um, is that how you ended up getting a tryout with the Vipers next season? That's correct, yep. And how did that camp go? It, it went well. I don't... That's just one of the funnier stories that you can possibly tell where you learn somebody's nickname, you don't remember their, their first name. So they send me a contract. It was two ways. I don't even remember what the numbers were, but it was pretty lopsided. It was like if I played in the IHL, I'd, I'd make like, uh, oh, gosh, I may be stretching it, but let's just say it was 40000 mm-hmm. And then you get sent down and in the Colonial League, then you make like 400 a week or something wow. silly. And and I sent it back once I got the package from Alaska. I sent it back to to said no to the contract and sent it back to him. And and Ludzik gives me a call. He goes Turbo. He goes wait a minute. What is it? And I said (laughs) Dean Turbo. Because you know everybody calls you Turbo. I never you know I I had to just I forgot what your what your real name was. It was. (laughs) So I had a contract sent. The head coach he, he totally forgot. To, it was just turbo, you know. <laughs> uh, 
anyways, I said, man, I'm 20, 26, 27, whatever age I was. I said, I can't do this. I'm married. I'm, I'm gonna, if I somehow ended up in the minors, they had like 90 people who rotated off of that team. That, that, that year, I mean, they had some unreal players that come through, Peter Bondra and yeah. stuff like, like that. And they were, I mean, I'd have to really look and see who the defensemen were on there, but there were a lot of National Hockey League defensemen who were there and gone. I'm like, who am I kidding? If, he, if you're rotating that much, I mean, I mean, that could be me. I'm, I'm moving my whole family, you know, my family down there. I mean, I can't afford to get sent down for that. I'm like, well, maybe, maybe it's not meant to be. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I chose no. To play, I had a really good first time in my career. I ever had four points in a game in a preseason, um, four points ever in a minor league game. Sergey Samsonov was uh, on the Vipers, and uh, he was the he was the Russian phenom. He was seventeen yeah. years old, and I never forget he played Cleveland. And all I did was rip him some passes, and he literally just went and took him to school, and so I had four points. Just, just throw it his way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the only time I ever had four points. Anyways, uh, that's why I remember with the Vipers uh, until I played against them, you know. Yeah. Did um, Did Sergey think you were Russian too? Did he come over and start speaking to you in Russian at all? He was an awful shy kid. Yeah. He didn't. Say, he didn't say much much at all. Yeah. But I just remember how big it was. They were in the Palace of Auburn Hills, and we had a signing thing at the beginning of the year, and and all the steps were where there was tables at the top of the s- stairs all the way around the, the bottom of people coming in the arena getting signatures of all the Viper players. And the only one that was really busy was his table because they had a video. He was on the Tron that he was the next Sergei Fedorov. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and he, he wasn't Fedorov, but he certainly was one hell of a player. He was, oh, yeah. what, I, I, I think he was first over when he was. He was a hell of a player for Boston, but he he wasn't as good as Fedorov, but he right. was certainly awesome. Right, right. Uh, so is that how you ended up back with Anchorage? Yes. I went back home and, uh, to Anchorage and started living uh, my own life for a while. But it's just tough to, tough to keep out of it. And so I did end up on a trip down with the Aces again. I was on a, on a road trip, and uh, Davey Allison gives me a call. Uh, you know, past midseason point, I, I I think. Yeah. And it gives me a call to come play for uh, the Griffins, and um, you know, per reference from Guy Godowski, who was coaching uh, Fresno at the time, because he was looking to see who was there any defenseman you know on the West Coast that because he was looking for one, and Dave had already coached me before, and so end up I on a road trip. I tell my wife that I'm going to Grand Rapids to get the opportunity to play in the IHL again. Mm-hmm. I'm going. So I left right from there and didn't come home for, I don't know how many days it was, but yeah, um, yeah I left and played for the, the Griffins. And uh, that was for maybe, I don't know, well, maybe you'd have to look, but maybe 28 games, maybe 30. something. 30 games. 30? I got it right in front of me. 30 games. Yeah. Yeah. So, Yeah. So uh, we already talked about Rammer. Uh, there's someone that you played with there that I've always been a huge fan of, uh, and uh, I recently reconnected with him also. Uh, Darcy Simon. What are your memories of playing with Darcy Simon? Darcy Simon. Now that guy, he did really. He he was one that he 
loved to fight. The only thing I thought it was the misfortunate thing that ever happened to him was, um, I believe it was McLaren with Indianapolis. Yep. Uh, sucker punched him mm-hmm. and uh, pretty much hurt him the rest of the year. He couldn't even, it really messed, it really messed him up. And I'll yeah. never forget that because he was coming to the box. And I remember um, after they got in the first fight and then he got away from the refs and then he, then he hit him. And he just knocked him, Darcy, unconscious, like right there, right in front of us. And ever since after that, um, he really had a, I think he had a tough time getting back on his, on his feet. I think it messed him up a, a little bit. And, but that guy, when he got in some, you know, Darcy was a, was a very uh, tough guy. And he was definitely a team player and stick up for anybody. So I speak very highly of that guy. Yeah, no, I, I love Darcy, and I remember when that happened because uh, from what I had been told, there were a lot of guys around the league that were friends with Darcy that were not happy about that, and, uh, you know, even it wasn't just guys on his team, and there were guys around the league that weren't happy about the sucker punch, and they took notice of it, so I don't know if anything ever resulted from it, but uh, I know how hard, not personally, thank God, how, how hard Steve McLaren uh, throws punches. I saw him play with the Phantoms a bunch of times, and, uh, you know, when you're ready for it, it's got to suck and when you're not ready for it it must must be feel like getting hit by a truck well yeah he definitely didn't see that was um in fact yeah, I, I don't know the when he was skating towards the vent i just screamed to watch out i don't know if maybe he was hurt ahead of the time or not because i because even when i screamed he didn't he didn't seem to move and then man he just got clocked yeah and it was just a melee everywhere yeah so um so I just recently found out when I had Barry Dreger on the podcast that there was a rivalry between the Orlando Solar Bears and the Grand Rapids Griffins. And most of the time, uh, like in the case with Capital District and Adirondack, a lot of time rivalries are born based out of geography. But that wasn't the case with Grand Rapids and Orlando. Uh, that was because you guys had the same ownership group. So uh, how intense was that rivalry? Uh, you guys always wanted to one-up Orlando. I know they wanted to always uh, one-up you guys. Did you feel that in the games? You know, it's funny that, that there was, I don't know what it was there. I know the owners, uh, they had mentioned that. But for whatever it was, that the chemistry between our two teams, that they were pretty rough. I, I remember Rammer uh, getting into a couple. Um, I remember fighting Clayton Norris there. Um, I don't know if Clarkie and I fought there. I don't, I don't remember. But uh, that was likely candidate but they were it was rough shane knighty uh yeah. Matt, i think he it seemed like he always fought dragger all yeah, the time Ron Dean dragger fought four uh four times that one season <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah dragger yeah. had uh one year if my memory's right from my notes uh he had six fights against grand rapids four against rugby and two against rammer oh yeah mm-hmm. was he was a tough customer oh, you yeah. know but I, I never saw anybody really get the better end of Rammer. I don't know what it was, but Rammer really did well. And uh, he just had those kind of a, he had just, you know, if you saw him in just a pair of shorts, he, he, you just wouldn't think so, but he had just nice, you know, rounded shoulders and a bigger head, and he could he could throw that, that big hand he had pretty fast. Well, I was just going to say that from video, just from watching him on video, the two things I always noticed is it seemed like he had a very hard head and just when he would make a fist, like you can tell on even on TV, sometimes you see a guy has small hands, big hands. Rammer always seemed to have these giant hands as well. Yep. 
Yeah, and it's just like he's swinging a sledgehammer. Mm-hmm. And he did really well. And even as one of his, I think Mel Engelstad's probably his best buddy. Yeah. And him and Mel even went after it. And, you know, they're laughing in the, you know, the restaurant afterwards or in the hallway afterwards, just laughing. Um, yeah. I mean, they, they had a, Orlando had a pretty tough team. Oh, yeah. As, Always. As, as we, we did too. But, I mean, they had Engelstad and Drager and Clark and uh, Norris and Buchanan and, uh, yeah, pretty. Um, the first year that that half season you spent with Grand Rapids, probably the the well again, and this is just what I was able to find. Uh, probably the two biggest names uh, that you fought, and again, you could tell me if that's incorrect. Uh, you fought Robin Bawa and you fought Barry Potomsky. Did anything stand out about those fights? First fight, well, that was when I first got called up. Yeah, I I didn't who I didn't know who Bawa was, but mm-hmm. the Fort Wayne Comets, mm-hmm. bigger guy. Yeah. And I hit him, and he, he just came, I mean, he just pretty much came running at me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did really well, but I, I didn't hit him hard enough to knock him down, and he it was a it was a pretty nice nice tilt. Mm-hmm. And I remember Allison laughing and talking with me afterwards. He goes, how was he, Turbo? I said, well, pretty tough guy. I think I got him a, a couple times, but I... I know I did pretty well, and, and I think I surprised Bawa, you know, because I don't know how tall he is. He's, he's got to be 6'3". Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a pretty tall guy, and, and and he's pretty tough. I watched some on YouTube, a bunch of his fights mm-hmm. that, that I've seen on there, he, and, he's, and he's pretty tough. He did pretty well, but that was my first one where everybody kind of sees you on the bench and kind of measures you up, yeah. you know. Who's this kid? You know, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, tough. You know, what's he? And then I think I did pretty well. You know, I earned my respect. Do you remember the Potomsky fight? Yeah, we were. <laughs> he was. Uh, what was it? I think that uh, he was on the power play, if I'm not mistaken. Wow. It, it, okay. He's on the power play, and I don't know how it was, but I was killing the. The, the penalty and actually he went by and he he pretty much punched me in the face when he was on the power play on the way by and I'll never forget it and I I remember just I just snapped and I went after him him and I went at it and we and we, we threw a bunch of punches but I just remember there's certain people where I really I, I had a tougher time against him Barry Potomsky was a big man mm-hmm. uh, he was real strong and I remember I did really well at the beginning, and I kind of hung in there. And that was another thing. Nelson says, "What do you think of that guy, Turbo?" And that, well, he was—he was another one of those guys that was tough. Him and Louis DeBrusque uh, were definitely where you know when, you, when you're in one. You know? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, the following year is when you had uh, a bunch of fights against Orlando, like you had already mentioned, uh, Chuck Norris, uh, Couple versus Mel. Uh, yeah, well, his nickname was Chuck. Chuck. Yeah, <laughs> nickname was Chuck Norris. Okay. So <laughs> I think I call him Chuck more than I call him Clayton, but uh, Chuck Norris. I mean, listen, right. if you're going to have nicknames, that's, there are a lot worse nicknames to have than Chuck Norris. <laughs> oh, man. That was a, uh, yeah, it's a tough nickname to carry, though. Yeah, I mean, come on. Yeah, exactly. You got to earn that. Uh, yeah. You had a couple scraps with Mel. You had a fight with Sharky. Um, yeah. 
Eric Fenton, who was probably with Milwaukee at the time, maybe you fought uh, yep. Moose Marset, who was with Houston. Uh, any yep. of those? Uh, any of those uh, jog up any good memories? Well, I remember. Yeah, I remember actual all of them. I remember. Um, yeah, you put what Mills with Indianapolis, uh, but I remember fighting Sharky. That was an exhibition mm-hmm. game. I was actually with the Vipers, and uh, when I fought Sharky. Um, we really had a good tilt in, we were in an exhibition game in Flint. And I remember, uh, finally getting a shot at Sharky cause I knew he fought a bunch. I watched him fight a bunch and him and I went at it and I did really well. And I just remember going back to the bench and all the boys, you know, just like, I remember Bobby J say, that's the way to throw the beef around, you know, cause we, I mean, we were really swinging mm-hmm. uh, in that one. That was, that was a really good fight Sharky and I got into more set. I just remember, um, you know, this, I, it was always a blessing to this guys. Nobody knew who I was. And when I ended up fighting more set, I mean, he couldn't get loose. I had a grip on him and I, he, and he couldn't get loose and I kept landing punches and it, he just basically flipped out and he burnt more energy in the, in the penalty box, pissed off at me saying how he was going to kill me when he went out and yeah. <laughs> during the fight. But that was the only time I, I remember. I don't know if I fought him twice. I can't remember. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I remember fighting him the one time. Did really well he, against uh, him. Yeah, he's very emotional. He always would get emotional yeah. after the fights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He definitely, because I had tried to fight him in the East Coast Hockey League many years before. Well, mm-hmm. down and he played for Hampton Roads, I yep. believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried to fight him, and I remember the referee tell he's saying don't do it because this guy's been knocking guys out left and right. You don't want to fight him, and I'm like, well, I'm going to, yeah. you know, and <laughs> ended up fighting until later. You know, when he plays for Houston, I ended up uh, fighting him uh, one time. Uh, what precipitated the trade to Milwaukee? Well. Um, I guess this is that what I what I hear. I was doing pretty well for, you know, I was seemed to be the only plus player for the last twenty games in Grand Rapids. But Grand Rapids, we always played. It seemed like to be a two-one game, one-nothing game, and we were very good defensively, but we didn't score a lot of goals. And so they were looking for a, a goal scorer, and. I guess my teammates knew ahead of time because they kind of hinted to me and like, hey, you think you could get traded? And I'm like, I don't know. No, who, who the hell's going to trade for trade for me? You know, I'm not getting any points or whatever. And I'm, I'm not, you know, it didn't seem like I was lighting the world on fire for stats. I knew I was playing decent. But uh, we ended up playing Milwaukee the, the day before the trading deadline. And that's when I actually when I ended up fighting Clarkie. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the funniest story because uh, Clarky takes a good run at me, you know, and I saw him out of the corner of my eye and I just jumped back and his elbow just misses my face. And I instantly threw off the gloves and I don't know what happened. I think if I watched the tape, I think I stepped on a stick or glove or something and I, and I slip and Clarky is pounding on my head. And I get up, and I mean, I'm, we're just going to go, and the referees jump in. And, I mean, I'm beyond flipping out pissed off mm-hmm. that, that I, didn't get a, I didn't get a chance to throw them. So I get traded 
you know, the next day to Milwaukee. I'm like, oh, geez, this is great. So I get there and I'm, I'm talking to the trainer. What are the odds you think I'm going to be playing or whatever? He goes, oh, I think they're going to play you a lot, you know, mm-hmm. and they're not playing a lot. So after the pregame skate, they play a like a pump-up video mm-hmm. of the game before, highlights of what happened and stuff like that. And so they, you know, the kind of locker room is pretty big and it's dark and they're playing this and they show highlights. And one of them is, the, you know, between the goals and stuff like that. Here's Clarky. They edit it. So the only thing you see is the couple seconds of Clarky pounding on my head. <laughs> and just highlight. And then I just, I thought it was pretty funny. I'm like, he jumped me. You know, everybody's <laughs> crying, laughing, just loving it. And, you know, just seeing the big smile on Clarky's face. We're laughing because, you know, I love the guy, you know. Yeah. So it was just something funny to add, you know, brought the team together. And, um, I definitely remember that one, too. Uh, probably, you know, played 11 games, regular season, 10 games in the playoffs. Uh, picked on one of the toughest guys to ever lace him up. Uh, he fought Serge Roberge, who was with the uh, Quebec Rafales at the time. Uh, what do you remember about fighting Serge? He was on a mission to fight somebody that game, and I'm, I never forgot him and I were squared off, and he goes, you, you want to go? You want to go? You know, that French accent. And I'm like, all right, let's just do that. And I had heard talks before. My, my friend Glenn Metropolit was just, you know, really praising how tough, you know, he really was and how guys would just get pummeled because um, Serge was just really fast with his hands and stuff like that. So I didn't really have the best strategy in the world because I didn't realize that he was out there in the first place. So I hung on long enough to where I wanted him to get a little bit tired and I was banking on him getting a little bit tired. And then once he got a little bit tired, I was going to get him off balance and, you know, get him. And I, I don't know, really remember how many punches were thrown, but I, but I did, I believe I, I drew some blood. I may be mistaken, but I, I, I did pretty good. Guys gave me a pat on the back, but I, I just remember that one because mm-hmm. um, they had a whole team of tough guys. Yeah, oh yeah. On on that team, they had Hayward and they had Simon and uh, Roberge and. Um, they had both. Yeah. They had both Roberges for a time. Uh, right. Dean Chenault was there uh, yep. at the, at a time. They had Darcy Simon. They had Jason Simon. Uh, they. They had a bunch the of guys on that I've, team. The only time I've ever seen Rammer ever get beat in a fight was in Mario Roberge fought him in Grand Rapids, and and Rammer just couldn't get loose, and Mario Roberge uh, gave it to Rammer pretty good, and that's the only time I've ever seen Rammer ever get beat. So Mario was a tough, tough one. Yeah, if if you if you get caught up with Mario Roberge and you can't get your arm loose, he's gonna end it in a hurry because he throws so fast. Right, right, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, a win over Rammer is uh, is pretty impressive. I'm sorry, I stepped on you there again. I apologize for that. Um, so we get to ninety eight, ninety nine, and how did you end up back in Anchorage? Well, um. I remember when the, the 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 season ended with Milwaukee, and my wife got a job in in Grand Rapids in marketing. And then when I got traded, I was around the other end of Lake Michigan in Milwaukee. And you know when you grow up and you're just dreaming about playing in the pros, you have you know you you don't dream of you know having a wife, and at least I didn't of or things you'd have to other things that you 
be tied to that would alter, maybe alter a decision. Right. And I just thought, well, you know, you've, you've had your shot. You've, you've really, if you really were good enough, you would have made the national hockey league, um, somewhere in there, somewhere you would have gotten a shot. Um, you're fooling yourself. You don't think that at some time you didn't have the opportunity. So I kind of gave myself, you know, like, okay, go find, go get a job, go get a job, earn a, start earning a living, start your life. And, and, uh, you, you gave it your best. So, uh, I went just because my wife had to go all around Grand Rapids to go come see me on the weekends. And I, what if I got traded again? It's just harder on that. It's not right. good on your marriage. So I pretty much said, well, I'll finish it out and, you know, another year in Anchorage and then that'll be that. Um, you played with somebody there that went on to a, a, a pretty damn good career. Uh, and that's Wade Brookbank. And you were there when he was really young. Uh, what were your impressions of Wade Brookbank at the time? It's kind of funny. I actually think I impacted him because they, they all stayed at the, the uh, Cusack Hotel, which they all, these guys, what do they do in their spare time? They have nothing else to do but to wait for practice, get up for practice, practice, and then party at night, you know, or, you know, or wait for the game and then party after that. And, you know, it just wasn't a healthy atmosphere as far as I thought of somebody young and uh, looking forward to something. So Brookbank one time, he had maybe two, three practices and everybody knew I was the, the older guy. And I look at these guys and Bookie's 18 years old and he's coming on the ice, you know, right, just right before the practice starts. And, you know, Walt Bedubney, you know, ends practice. He's leaving the rink. And I'm like, and I'm all over those guys, but I was pretty colorful about it, I think. Yeah. And I said, hey, hey. I said, wait. I said, never mind some of these these bozos. They they're like seven up. Never had it. Never will. <laughs> but listen, I said, I said you gotta. I said you could go go places. I know it. You're big. You got nice nice hands and stuff like that. And you you know I seen him fight an exhibition. He was really tough. Yeah. I said, listen, you're first on last off not the opposite you know you're not last on and first off you know you just don't do that i said i said i'll tell you what i'm going to do i said i'm going to be here beginning i'll run drills before practice i'll just work with the defenseman and after practice we're going to work some drills and sometimes we're going to run these stairs you know and those guys um there was a group of guys that that kind of joined me and we ran uh, some extra drills, defenseman's drills, because you can't run a practice because you know, well, only was by himself, so you can't really do split practices. So I took it by myself, and I would run drills on our end, and Brookbank was one of them that I convinced him, you know, that, you know, there's something look, to look forward to. You need to be working harder, and uh, and and he did, too. And I, I really believe that changed him around for the year. So... Uh, by the way, only old folks like you and I are going to get that seven up reference, by the way, any of the kids are going to have no idea what that was, but I, re I remember that uh, slogan they had for a while. So right. <laughs> never had it ever. Well, that's it. So, uh, obviously we're going to get to, uh, Jacques Mayotte here in a second. The only other fight I, I know that you had that year. Um, like I said, your fight card is not readily available on the internet. So I had a piece together and I don't know much about this guy, but, uh, Phoenix had a player named Jesse Grenier. Uh, I don't know if that fight was no, noteworthy at all. 
But he did pretty well. I have to say that he surprised me. Yeah. I, he was a taller guy, and uh, it was one of them. I, I never got loose. I did not do very well, but I kind of expected it in there because I, I usually did pretty well. But he was a bigger guy, and I think that he was – because he was going to go fight Brookbank, and I jumped in front of Brookbank. I don't know why, but I did. <laughs> and yeah, I, I was one of those ones where I – I kind of underestimated when I went into it, and that, he did pretty well. I have to say that that wasn't, that was not one where I did very well. And he never knocked me down, but I mean, I, I, I didn't deliver. That's for sure. There was one. It wasn't a good one for me. Finally, not being known uh, turned in someone else's favor. That's right. Wow. That's right. How about that? Well, to be honest about it, that's that's that's. That wasn't a good one for me. All right. So obviously, uh, when people Google your name we all know what comes up and uh, I didn't want to come up with any questions to talk about uh, everything that happened with Jacques in the last year. I always felt it better if you could take, take us through the sequence because the, the thing that you ultimately got suspended for was not the first run in you had with him that year. So if you could kind of, and take as much time as you want, uh, take us through the sequence of events with Jacques Mayotte in that, that final season and then the aftermath after everything went down. Well, I'll tell you, bottom line, the guy that you everybody would probably love to have him as a teammate. Mm-hmm. Tough as, he's, he's tough as nails. Mm-hmm. But in the Colonial League the last time when I went after him, Quad City, he did not he did not fight me. So in Anchorage, it's a different type of game. We were play, literally playing three and four defensemen where I'm playing all the time. I don't know how many, many minutes I logged, but it was a lot of them. So right at the end of our, uh, during our first fight, we're down in Fresno, and Jacques has probably played two, two shifts. I mean, he hasn't even hard touched the ice. And he comes after me, and i got to say, he, I would say he clearly won that fight. He, I mean, he, he hit me probably three good ones in the mouth, and I just, I just threw him down. I was pretty tired. I logged a lot of minutes at the very end of the game, and he got me, and I said, and I promised him, and I said, Jacques, you, you wait till you come to Anchorage. I said, I'm not going to wait until I'm tired. I said, I'm going to come right after you, and I'm going to tear your head off. You know, like I, it's going to happen. It, it's going to happen. So when we went to Anchorage, we come at it, and I knew he was coming. I was carrying the puck. He was coming around the net after me, and he pulled me in, and I knew I was in one. And I and I got the better out of him. I hit him a, a couple times pretty pretty good and bloodied his lip or something. And got him down, and then that's when the next period um, resurfaced the ice, and he was playing forward, and I was, you know, I was playing defense on the other side. He gets a pass. I go to check him, and he threw his stick, and he cross-checked me. His stick went right through my my uh, my chin and all the way up through and knocked my tooth out. Um, so that was, that, was, that was the incident that kind of started the, the rip. I mean, it was a it was a cross check right in my face, so that's when Brookbank come in for me. I guess I never got to see it, but I guess he 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 pretty much gave Mayot the business, and then he never he never returned either. Mayot after that. Was there any suspension for that at all? Did he get any sort of repercussion for that or nothing? Two minutes. Oh jeez. Okay. Yeah, no joke. Two two minutes. It was the most vicious cross check you could ever imagine. Okay. So. It was it was horrible. That's when I went down, and I when when we went down to Fresno, 
I told everybody in my locker room, I said, you better be ready because he's going to get it. He is going to get it. And so then I was going, uh, I was challenging them. I challenged their bench. I challenged everybody. I challenged anybody next to me. I was going after everybody. And then he, he didn't he even lay down and he kind of, that's where the stick incident came in, mm-hmm. which never hit him, by the way. So he, he claimed it hit him. And he, he was like, how's your tooth? How's your tooth? And then when I swang, my stick missed him by about, you know, four or five inches. And he claimed that it hit him. He, he, he went through the WWF uh, <laughs> rolling around that it hit him. And it never hit him. And so it was amazing when, you, when the, you know, the police came, picked me up, and I'm, I'm going through the jail thing. I mean, this thing just exploded. They come to the hotel, and they literally have seven, eight police officers there. You know, and I'm like, why are you guys here? Oh, we don't know. I'm like, all right, well, I don't know, really know what to do because I've never been in trouble before. So what, what do you want me to bring? What do you, what do you, what, you know, what do you want? And, you know, it was, it was definitely uncomfortable mm-hmm. because he could have fought me and he's a, he's a tough dude. He could, he could have definitely fought me uh, fair and square and it would have been done with. Um, he didn't. So I'm sorry, Joe. Is that my thing? What do you mean? No, I got um, you. We're good. Oh, this thing is pinging. Something was pinging. I don't know if it was my phone or. No, nope. I didn't even anyway. hear it. I didn't even hear it. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, anyways, that's how that's that's kind of started that that uh, you know the, with the police thing, and then it went on the radio, and then I got thrown in as, as this awful goon, and and uh, yeah. Just a, it was a just a definitely a bad situation. My wife is just ready to deliver a baby, and I'm in jail. And you know, the team had to get up in the middle of the night, pool all this money together to bail me out. And, um, yeah. Um, just, did it ever? I mean, did you reach? You had to go to court, right? No. Nope. Oh no. Okay. I mean, did it ever come out that he actually didn't get hit? Like you didn't? This you never made contact with him? Did that ever come out? Oh, it was the big, it was the biggest magicianal act of all time. I'm talking to the, I'm talking to the guy questioning me. I, I swear to God, he says, "Oh no, you hit him. We saw." It. I said, "No, I was right there. It never hit him." Oh yeah, you hit him. There's a mark on his face. I said, "Let me tell you something." I said, "This guy gets in fights all the time." Yeah. Said, I mean, he has no mark on his face. If it did, it could have it could have happened at any time. Mm-hmm. I said, "Trust me. If I wanted to hit him with my stick." Uh, I would have hit him with my stick. Yeah, I said it, it, it would have hurt him, mm-hmm. and I and I was oh no, you hit him. So they're saying I hit him. Then everybody says oh I hit him. Mm-hmm. Like no, I didn't. I didn't hit him. And so that was the, what was pushed, and that's that's where it was an assault with a deadly weapon. Mm-hmm. That's where hot was assault with a deadly deadly weapon. So I forget what the penalty was, but it was just massive. So then when you have a like a possible felony, then you then you go to the county jail, yeah. and, and Shit gets pretty real down there yeah. when you go to the county. Yeah. So you don't, don't ever go there. So. <laughs> I'll do my best. <laughs> right. So, anyway. Um, now, if you don't mind me asking, who who brought up the charges? Was that Jacques? Was it the city? Who who was the, the trigger to get you arrested? Well, I have my own theories behind it because I was – I was one of the main guys for Anchorage and mm-hmm. 
uh, I was pretty tough on him. So I think that he was so motivated by everybody around me, you know, you should arrest that guy, which was probably the silliest thing yeah. you could ever see. I mean, I mean, it was, it was pretty stupid. I mean, uh, it's tough to look back on it, but I, I just think he really got some bad advice uh, for, from some people. I mean, I, I, if going back, I just wish that he would have just jumped up. Who knows? He could have beat me up or I could have beat him up either way. It would have been handled right there. We would have policed ourselves. It would have been done with. And, um, that would have been that, but to bring in the, 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 the the law enforcement was, was beyond stupidity to me. So, um, this may be a stupid question, but maybe not with the, the way that uh, the world is now, uh, social media, the world is a lot smaller. Have you and Jacques ever spoken after this incident? Uh, there was a phone call made, and, and I think it was a setup. I think that he had guidance from a lawyer, and I did too, as pretty much the, the, the lawyer had pretty much prepped me to say, all you're going to tell him is, you know, I'm sorry this ever this ever happened, this situation ever happened. Don't it say anything more than that, you know? And I think the, the conversation was, wasn't really that, that real. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that, that's pretty much, I mean, because if, if we played it, if we played again, we certainly would have been in a fight. Yeah. So, um, and I think it would probably would, we probably would have been friends afterwards. I've been in lots of fights where I come in after the game and, and I'm shaking the person's hand laughing. Right, and, and right. Just how hockey players are, you know. Um, and you got suspended for the rest of the season, correct? 27 games. Yep. Uh, and I told you, the thing I found, and not that anything about this incident is amusing, so please don't take it like that. Maybe just found it weird. You got suspended for the rest of the season, but then you were able to come back for the playoffs. It, it made no sense. It was, it was, it was, uh, I, I, I never understood the suspension as if that made any sense. I mean, I, I talked to the commissioner of the league and he was trying to handle it and I explained my position, but I, I should have just said nothing and let it pass. It would probably have been less, but, uh, I had strong feelings when I said about the situation uh, and, um, I had to stay in shape. At least it was handled in court. Everything got taken care of. Um, you know, my daughter was born healthy, so that was good. And mm-hmm. you know, you know, life was life was still good. But the yeah. painful thing was, I was stuck with the reputation of the person on on YouTube, and everybody had forgotten. You know that that I that it was a pretty good player. You know. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so they, but they remember. Oh, you're that guy who swang that stick. Mm-hmm. And uh, anyway, yeah, I saw him on CNN and. <laughs> That's what they remember. Well, you know what? And it's always the kind of thing where we you talk about the media and there could be something on the front page of the paper. And if it's wrong, the retraction is never on the front page of the paper. It's always in the middle of the paper. You telling me that you the stick never hit him is the first I'm ever hearing about this because it's not, I guess, saying that the stick didn't hit him is not good. You know, it's, it's not sexy enough, let's say, because like you say, you go on YouTube right now, there's four or five different versions of it. And because the video is so far away, it's hard to say it's grainy. You can't really, you know, I guess, you know, because you know, exactly you were there. It's hard to see it, but I've never once. and, And when I was researching this, I found 
20 different articles about the incident. Not one of them ever had a follow-up that said the stick actually never made contact. True. And you know what? There, there's another, I saw some video somewhere, somebody had a different angle of it. And, and it was like one of those Hollywood movies where the person turned it, look, it looks like they really get punched, mm-hmm. but they don't get punched. And I looked at him like, oh my God, it looks like I killed him. You know? Yeah. But I remember it like yesterday. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, it was it was about five inches to the left. Wow. But I wanted to scare the piss out of him mm-hmm. to get him up to fight. Because wow. I told him, because when he taunted me about my tooth, you know. But anyway, so- I can't I can't turn that back, but that's 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 the truth of it. Well, I'm glad that you uh, cleared that up, and hopefully enough people listen to this that uh, that they hear your side of the story, and they actually hear that you never make contact. And, you know, um, it's unfortunate. I mean, t- for me to sit here and say it's really unfortunate what you had to go through after that is, it's, I mean, it's kind of silly to say that. It's sort of like, yeah, thanks, Captain Obvious, but, I, you know, as someone who knows you, I, I feel really bad that you had to go through the whole thing, but... Uh, you know, thankfully it ended up, like you say, your your daughter was born and, and uh, everything is good now. But really, really unfortunate that you had to go through all that. And I'm sorry that you had to go through that whole thing. Well, that's no big deal. I, you know, it, it, we all grow from everything that happens in our life. and um, You know, life life goes on and we all make choices. And I guess bottom line is maybe I shouldn't even fake it. You know, woulda, yeah. shoulda, coulda. Yeah. You know. That was my last year I played anyways, but um, I just wish it would turn out differently. Could have done without stress, and I certainly would have liked playing those 27 games versus, uh, you know, just trying to stay in shape, going into the arena by myself and shooting pucks and skating and doing and trying to make up stuff to stay in shape, you know. Yeah. So So you had said before the season you were going to just go, give it one more shot, uh, one more year in Anchorage, and then call it quits. Uh, after all this happened, was was that the icing on the cake, where even if you had thought about, oh, maybe I could try one more year, but after this, you were definitely done, correct? Well, I went out, and they were they had a new coach, and he actually was from Fresno. I'll never forget it. And uh, I told him, you know, I was going to make the same thing I did the, the year before, and then the coach says, well, we can get two players for year or, you know, as is, is, is good as you. And uh, I'll just never forget. And the guy, you know, Wilkie was a good good defenseman when he played and said he could do with me. I said, well, well, go get him then. We'll yeah. see how well. And they got their asses kicked all over the place. And, you know, just a, it was a good one to retire on because uh, that's how stupid he was as, as to, you know, didn't value a good defenseman. And they tried to pick up two players for me. Well, they they got their asses kicked. So <laughs> I can hang my hat on that one. That, that wasn't smart. Well, so it's icing on the cake for me. Like, well, I'm not going to play for somebody unappreciative of me. And I'm getting old and older. Yeah. And now's the time. So, um, so what have you done now? It's been a while since you retired. What have you done since you retired? And if there's anything that you're involved with now, feel free to, uh, give it a plug and, uh, promote it. Well, I'll tell you what, you always give back. I got into coaching and I did 23 years and it's amazing. You don't realize it when you first start out that those, whoever your coach 
they don't stop growing and they get older and they'll become old ones and you stick around long enough. They, they, it just comes full turn. It comes back to you. And you'll see when you're working in the community that, hey, that this, this guy now is maybe a super, superintendent on the construction site, or this person's a doctor, or this person's a real estate salesman, or, or whatever. And, and it's amazing to see these uh, people grow and how strong of a network you'll have when, when you give back. And when you're teaching these kids things, you know, take a lot of pride into it because you just never know what tomorrow is going to bring. And um, these kids give back tenfold what you put into it. Yeah. So give back. Um, are you still coaching now? I did not. After 23 years, my daughter was the last one that I, I coached. She, uh, we ended up, uh, I ended up, we, we were runner up the last one for the national championship, but he did win a national championship with her. But um, girls hockey is just a different animal. Yeah. Um, definitely, um, definitely, Hard, definitely harder. I w- I would say just because you just <coughs> you just have to coach you, yeah. you, how you address people. You just you just don't talk to girls. You do you do you do boys, but they com- they play hard. They 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 love they love to be there. It's very rewarding. But after twenty three years, I thought like you know other people. When I at the end of my career, when I was coaching, I used to invite all sorts of coaches to come on in to change the change it up a little bit have just offer a few different drills or something you're saying basically the same thing but maybe in a different way yeah. and the kids continue to grow and I would invite other kids to come into the practice older kids to up speed my practices and <coughs> change it up but I thought it was all healthy for them but it was just kind of time for me to move out there's younger kids coming in and it that's where they needed to, to do it. And, you know, I do other stuff. I do a lot of mountain biking, snowmobiling, um, fat tire biking. I'm always doing that stuff. So that's what I do now, spending my time. And because the coaching took up a lot of my time, but it was worth it. But now I'm, so now I'm just kind of enjoying what I have on my own. I love it. I love it. So uh, my last question that I always ask everybody, and first of all, again, thank you for your time. Uh, I, I think and for, for those guys that I've asked to come on the show that have a problem with Skype, I just want to let you know that Turbo here, we are talking to Turbo today. He's in the middle of nowhere, Alaska right now, and uh, he managed to get this going. So nobody has an excuse anymore. Middle of nowhere. It's an actual town in Alaska. Nobody has an excuse for the Skype anymore. So, uh, but Turbo, thank you for your time. Uh, Is there anything about your career uh, that I didn't bring up that you'd like to tell the people? Well, I have to say that that, uh, in my career, uh, hockey has just been a blessing to me. I thought when I wanted to quit a long time ago, but my friend Tim Molly didn't let me. He says, hey, you're going to practice tomorrow. He goes, hockey's like the mafia. Once you get in, you never get out. And I've never forgot that. <laughs> so, hey, it's been a blessing. It's given me so much in my life. Um, it's treated me extremely well. So I have to say, um, thanks for having me on. I would have never expected this to be on your podcast. So thank you. And uh, I definitely don't, if, if somebody else was listening and said, uh, Dean, you know, you didn't beat me up or no, you didn't get the better end of me. Hey, so be it. It's my, like I say, it's our podcast, right, Joe? So <laughs> you got it, it was, Turbo. You got it. It's a story. 
So uh, I have to say to all my friends I played with in CDI, um, hey, I still love you. And uh, I, w- I just really miss those times. Oh, perfect way to end it, buddy. And uh, listen, thanks again. And uh, we'll keep in touch, okay? Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. Have a great day, sir. You too. All right. Bye now. Thanks again to Dean Trebojevic for his time and for the stories. I love hearing the stories from uh, from guys like Dean, and uh, I hope that you people enjoyed it too. Always good to uh, add another one to the stable, uh, Springfield Indian or Capital District Islander. Uh, that's the goal. I know I won't get them all. Uh, a few of them have politely declined the interview, but I want to get as many of those guys in the archives for you people to enjoy at any time. And uh, it was awesome to add Turbo to the list today. So um, with that, for my American listeners, my American friends, have a happy and safe Labor Day and stay safe, everyone. (laughs) 